Hello, is it me you're looking for? Mark. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? It's always you that I'm looking for. And I found cool. you. Yay. And if you're listening to this, you found Kino Inferno, the UK's premier movie podcast. Did I ever tell you that during my time spent at university, I named my USB stick, hello, is it USB you're looking for? And I think I peaked with that joke. Yep. <laughs> I see you smiling. The audience can't see it, but I can see it. That's funny and you know it. Anywho. Um... <laughs> So, we're your favourite movie podcast. Uh, we're all going to try and move on from what just happened. That was top-tier um, punnery, sir. Okay, I won't hear any different. And what we do on this show is we take two movies... USB you're looking for. Do you get it? Mark, please. Please. <laughs> I'm trying to intro the show. We take two movies that are loosely connected by a theme... And we compare and contrast. We usually sort of forget to compare and contrast and just kind of have a chat about two vaguely connected movies. But, you know, you know the fucking deal. You've probably listened to this. Unless you haven't. In which case, hey, have you come here looking for Paul Blart? I don't know why you're (laughs) jumping in on this episode. Because, Mark, what is the theme of today's episode? Today's theme is mediocre mall movies. For some Controversial. reason. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what the reason is, listeners. A little peek behind the curtain. I'm going to lift up the skirt and show a bit of leg here in podcast terms. Mark wanted to do Paul Blart Mall Cop. That's why we've got a mall episode. Um, this is, yeah, this is true. Um, only because I was under the idea that because last year we did, like last year, it was the same years, but we, we, series one was this year, wasn't it? The end of series one was this year. What is time? Um, but no, so last series, um, we covered Cats, which even though we both think is kind of a masterpiece, and, mm. you know... It's a disaster piece. Yeah, by our standards, it's uh, something of a masterpiece. I was thinking, do you know what? I feel like every series we should talk about one movie that is almost unanimously considered to be absolute dog shite, and this was one of the first films that sprung to mind, and I'd never seen it. So that was my reasoning. Yeah. Okay, I think you're just a bit of a blathead. I'd never seen this movie. Never seen it before. I think you should watch it every day and it's your favourite film. That could be true that and you would never know. This called Blart Inferno. <laughs> you're on to me. You finally figured out what this whole show has been leading up to. Me doing the ultimate Paul Blart fan cast. Although <laughs> someone's already beat us to the punch by doing a Paul Blart podcast as such thing does exist. Yeah, is it one of those podcasts where they watch like a minute every episode or some fucking stupid thing? I my friend was telling me about this, so I should you know be a bit more knowledgeable about it. But um, it's supposedly a podcast in which every year they meet up and watch Paul Blart Morkop, and they've done it here where they've watched it in VR and such. Like they try to cover all bases, and I don't know why. I mean, just go outside at that point. Just do you know what I mean? Just Go outside. Like those people who watch Grown Ups every day, the the other Happy uh, Madison film, uh, they watch that every day and recorded it, or I guess maybe every week. Just, just is what I'm talking about. Don't fuck. Just 
be like us and watch a plethora of bad movies. You know? I mean, if you're going to do a pod, like, I mean, look, I can't have a go at people for podcasting because we podcast. Yeah, but we are those But if you're people. going to podcast, at least try and contribute something. <laughs> do you know what I mean? As contribute opposed to just something. contributing towards Happy Madison having a disgusting amount of money. Not even, it's not even that that I'm mad about. It's the fact that people are going to listen to that like, <laughs> oh, it's so ironic and funny. They're talking about Paul Blart or grown-ups or whatever. It's just like, just go to, you, you know what? Your time would be better spent staring at the wall blankly <laughs> for the length of time that the podcast will be on for. I mean, some would say the same about this show, admittedly, but... True. You know, we've got comedy characters. We do. They're not coming out today. Oh, I thought you were leaving room for the comedy characters. I was waiting for the comedy. No, characters. no, no. They're all on. They're all on holiday. The marketing ruse on holiday. Oh, so we can say um, Bussy all we want. We can say Bussy as many times as we want. We can say Bussy, yeah. Femboy Hooters, uh, Volva, <laughs> um, uh, Cunt. We can say Cunt as much as we want. We can say Cunt as much as we okay, want. Okay, so it's Paul Blart Morka. As if we don't anyway. Paul Blart Morka. Paul Cunt. <laughs> Paul Blunt Malkin. That's what would happen if you put these two movies together. That's what it would become. So listen, this isn't the best theme we've ever had, because the thing is, we're British, and malls are not really a thing here. Like, you have shopping centres, yeah, but they're not really... The mall experience is something that doesn't really occur yeah. here. We don't have mall culture, like you would say, that the, the States has. I mean, for us here, like, shopping centres are basically where, like, 14-year-old goths hang out, and not even that like, I don't even see if I go to a shopping centre these days I don't see the goths there where are the I goths I mean to be fair I, well if you're from Leicester Mark the goths don't hang around the shopping centre you can find them down by the clock tower so you, in, back in my hometown it was the bus station yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and guys mm. you know it's been hot recently so you know please leave water out for the goths yeah they're lapped at like thirsty ducks yeah like they're they are, they are an endangered species especially at this time of year so please be kind to Listen, your local goths let's this intro is rambly and bizarre <laughs> we need to establish a few facts yeah we're doing mediocre mall movies the first one is paul blart colog mall cop and the second one is mall rats the kevin smith movie starring jay and silent bob and no something else, else we need to <laughs> nobody else and we need to establish that the the marketing room is on holiday, so this episode might get a bit blue. The murder rabbit is also on holiday, so we're safe for now. Uh, obviously, the legal advice bear died in mysterious circumstances, <laughs> and God the sexual it. harassment crab we have politely asked to leave. Yeah, it was getting a bit too handsy, a bit clory, yeah, clory, yeah. Pinch, pinch. So, Paul Blart. All right. You must now pass the obstacle course, survive this, and you're on the front lines of keeping New Jersey safe. Meet Paul Blart. Sorry about the test, Dad. I'm gonna get him next year. I am. Here we go. Pie. It just fills the cracks of the heart. Go away, pain. He's always been dedicated. Paul Blart. Mall cop. To protecting. We got a high roller. The West Orange Pavilion Mall. I'm afraid I'm going to have to issue a citation. Can you validate this? Sir, sir, I'm warning you, sir. Sir. Sir, you're a nasty old man. So this bloke's name is Paul Blart and he's a mall cop. 
That's the film. You have to tell them like what year it came out, who's in it, who the director was. Come on, Mark. This is a podcast. Okay, for God's fine. Sake. I'll put more effort into that than the makers of this movie. So, Poor Black Ball Cop came out in 2009. It's described as an action comedy film, if you could d- define this as an action movie. And it's mostly just Kevin James falling over, so I yeah. guess it counts. He does fall over a lot. That is action, I think. That is his thing, though, apparently. Like, he just does a lot of this kind of physical comedy. Uh, but yeah, Paul Blart Morkop is this uh, 2009 comedy where Kevin James plays the titular Paul Blart Morkop, who has aspirations of being a police officer, uh, but essentially is held back because he's fat. That's kind of where the well, movie Well, and goes. he has hyperglycemia. He does also have hypoglycemia, which is apparently another thing that holds him back in his ambition to be a cop. But it's mostly the fat thing, because the first time we see Mr. Blart, you see him doing some kind of physical test, and the first gag in the movie is that he has sweaty tits. You do have sweaty tits. But two minutes in, just sweaty tits. And then he has a hypoglycemia attack. And falls over. So it's a fat man fall down kind of comedy as well. So you know it's you know it's high. This was at a time before Melissa McCarthy, so only fat men fell down. But she really smashed through that glass ceiling. Yeah. And she fucking fell on it. <laughs> We're going to leave that in? The marketing rouge not here, so... While the ruse away, the boys will play. <laughs> I don't know what's worse about that terrible fatphobic joke. The fact that I said it... Or the fact that you've laughed for as long as you have at it. <laughs> I think I'm laughing so much because as soon as you started saying it, I knew where it was going. I saw it coming. Ah, oh, beautiful. Um, yeah, so Paul has these ambitions of being a police officer, but he's just stuck as being a more security guard. And he's clearly not very good at it, from what I can um, gather. Well, I think like, it's more like he just doesn't get any respect, you know. Like he's pretty, he's fairly, he's fairly diligent in his job, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he takes it seriously. Like he's concerned about like the sort of through line of traffic of passengers, not passengers, of uh, patrons of the mall. So you know, he wants to try and reduce that kind of stuff. And then eventually, uh, a heist happens, in yeah. which his former colleague, who is another security guard at the mall, well, he's, very- he's like a new starter. Yeah, like he's very, he comes across a very meek and mild manner. Turns out he's like running this little sort of criminal ring who are going to steal the credit card payments from the mall. Is that correct? Something like that. Something to that effect is what they're trying to do. So Paul has to become the, you know, the police officer he's always dreamed of and take down these criminals. That is the plot of the movie. It's Die Hard in a Shopping Mall, which I wasn't expecting. I didn't realize this film was like an action comedy. No, I just assumed it was crazy hijinks occur. Uh, you know, I mean, or like you, if he was going to be investigating a crime, it'd be like relatively low key. That's what yeah, I, I thought, was expecting. I thought from the... Uh, so we should say as well, like one of the things, one of the through lines of this movie is that um, Paul Blart is looking for love. Um, so I thought it was going to be more like a romantic comedy situation because he, like early on we're introduced to... I want to say Amy. We never do any research. Yes, Amy, played by Jamie Mays. Yes, cut prize Anna Faris, as I like to think of her. Which is funny because... Which we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Just funny because she's in Smiley Face. 
And like that <laughs> that one scene where she talks to the actress, she's the actress. She is, yes, yes, she is. I mean, I was more thinking that, that you know, Paul Blart Morcop came out at, around the same time as Observe and Report, which was the Seth Rogen movie about a mall security guard who has ambitions of being a police officer and falls in love with the conventionally attractive woman who works in the mall who happens to be played by Anna Faris. That's where I was going with that. Well, there you go. We've we've blown we've blown the lid off this conspiracy. The only observant report is great, and everybody about. should watch it. Okay, that's all <laughs> I'm saying. I don't know if I've seen it actually. You've you've recommended it to, to me for about ten years. I don't. Think it's I've seen I, it's worth a watch. It came out around that time when Seth Rogen was kind of everywhere, and it slipped under the radar somewhat. Uh, probably because of how dark it is. Like it's the darkest comedy that Seth Rogen's ever touched, to the point where there's a couple of scenes that are still very controversial to this day. But we will save that for another time. We could have done it on this. Episode. We could have, but we didn't. But we didn't. So fuck you. Yeah. So like. We don't really need to go too far down the rabbit hole of the plot of this movie because there isn't really much. It's just guy wants to be a police officer, is presented with an opportunity to prove himself, also falls in love with attractive girl who sells hair extensions and wants to win. Cut price Anna Faris. And wants, yeah, budget Anna Faris and wants to, you know, win her heart. That's the movie. That's the movie. And also he has a daughter uh, who he needs to prove that he's like great in front of because she's trying to find him love as well. Well, she already thinks he's great. That's the thing. True. And, you know, the circumstances of her birth are troubling. Yeah, his green card marriage. Yeah. So Paul Blart was married to, um, I assume, a South American immigrant. I can't remember if they actually said where she's from. But, um, yeah, and, and it's, it's pretty much told to his early doors that she was only using him for the green card. Had the, had a baby with him and then fucked up. Which is, you, so, um, you find that out very yeah. soon in the movie. And it's quite a downer note to start the movie off on. Yeah, that is one of those things where I was like, that's kind of a dark thing. And they kind of use it as like an indication of like Paul Blart's essential goodness in the sense that he didn't suspect this woman, but also like his his daughter badmouths her and she's like, oh, she's not that bad. But when so, she objectively... I was kind of expecting this character to show up at some point. Yeah. And it was going to be... Because this is the thing, I had no idea what the plot... Because we should say, neither of us have seen this film before. Um... I was under the impression that it was more of a just general knockabout comedy without the thriller elements. So I was kind of thinking, okay, I kind of know what this movie's going to be. He's going to try and win the affection of this new girl, uh, Cut Price Anna Faris, and then his wife's going to come back for some reason, and she's going to suddenly want to be with him, and he's going to be like, oh, well, she is the you know mother of my child and all the rest of it, but then it turns out she's using him, and... And he, you know, has a last-ditch effort to get back with Cut Price Anna Faris. Um, which, you know, is a fairly cliché plot, but I was kind of like, this is this is where we... I've seen a romantic comedy before. So I was under the impression this was going to be a romantic comedy. And it's not, it's Die Hard. Uh, yeah, it's weirdly Die Hard in a shopping mall. Um, which is fine, I suppose. I suppose, right, as in true Kino Inferno fashion... Before we get into more analysis of Paul Blart Mallcop <laughs> and think about uh, why it has the uh, mimetic qualities that it does. Because this movie's kind of one of those movies that the internet turned into it's a like meme. It's like the new Shrek, isn't it? I always assumed... Yeah, I always assumed just because like the title was funny. Because like Paul Blart, there is something funny about the name Paul Blart. And I, I will admit, when 
the times when I did chuckle in this movie, it was almost every instance was a, a reference to the name Paul Blart um, or a sentence with the words Paul Blart in it. Um, like, I, like I particularly enjoyed uh, the, the Indian guy saying, uh, them some heavy, them some heavy words, Paul Blart. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think I can quite put my finger on like why listen, this. Listen to, listen to how much I'm laughing. At that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't do the voice, but it's the guy's accent that makes it funny. I, as well. I, I know the scene you're referring to. No, I can't really put my finger on why. <laughs> Still laughing at this. <laughs> it's you have this the guy's face. I can't remember that actor's name, but he pops up in sitcoms and stuff. It's the guy's face when he's just like. Them some heavy words, Paul Blatt. <laughs> <laughs> it really got to me. There was only one part of this movie that I laughed at, I'm not going to lie. They, they actually got a, a chuckle out of me. And it was one of the slapstick gags, admittedly, but only because I just didn't see it coming. And it's the bit where he gets drunk. Which which part was it? And uh, he's okay, on the stage sure. and he like rips his shirt. But then I didn't realise that the window is directly behind him and he just falls through the window and that really made me laugh after. But that <laughs> yeah. was actually quite funny. Um so yeah, but bearing that in mind, we should talk about briefly what we thought of this movie because neither of us seen it before, and in as is tradition on this podcast, we don't tell each other what we thought of the movie before yeah. we record the episode. I'm really ramping up for this. <laughs> well, <laughs> hang on, let me do it like as a, um, hang on, let me do that like I'm a podcast presenter. Uh, leave all that in, obviously. Obviously, like so, it's tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's tradition on this podcast, Guido Inferno, that when one of us or both of us haven't seen the film before, we don't tell each other, because me and Mark talk all the time off air, we're friends as well as colleagues, and occasionally lovers, um, but only on particularly cold winter nights. Yeah, um, it's going to be cold this winter, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, price of fuel, bloody hell. We'll be out of rabbits. Anyway, um... That that harrowing uh, image aside, because <laughs> we do we I like that we just implied that we live in a big Kino Inferno house like the monkeys <laughs> <laughs> with like the marketing room and Abdul. But we're kind of, I imagine we're kind of like Bert and Ernie. We're just <laughs> sleeping in the same bed. Which one's which? Listen, there's answers on a postcard. Um. Anyway, right, let's try and do this for real. Yeah. So, <laughs> on this podcast, when one or both of us has not seen the film, we do not share our thoughts uh, about the film prior to turning the mics on. Now, occasionally we have skirted the edges of this rule, and occasionally, whilst I'm watching a film, I might say something like, this is fucking mental, uh, text that to Mark or something. Yeah. But we, in general, we, we don't we don't put any opinions out there. Yeah, yeah, it tends to be sort of vague statements. Like there'll be there'll be times where I've texted you like I am twenty minutes into this movie and I have thoughts. It's usually stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is, without further ado, although maybe we should insert some kind of drum roll. Uh, yeah, Mark. Go on. Mark Penny Feather Smith. <laughs> yes, that is his full name. Mark P Smith. Uh, writer for What Culture, <laughs> co-presenter of this podcast, and former Slinger Reviews DVDs for CEX. Yep. That's what me. did you think of the 2009 epic <laughs> Paul Blart? 
colon mall Do you know what? Right. So I was under the impression that this movie was going to be one of the worst things I've ever seen. Just like from the memes yeah. and, you know, just general things that people have told me about this movie. And I was surprised to learn that it's not that. It's ass. This movie is actual ass. Like, it's a not a good movie at all. But it's really nowhere near as bad as I was expecting to be. It's just kind of weirdly lifeless and flat throughout most of its runtime. It's a very breezy watch. I would never probably watch it again. Um, but, you know, Kevin James falls down a lot, and that's kind of weirdly amusing. I, don't know. I mean, it's this movie sucks. It really does suck. That's my thoughts. Okay, interesting. What did you think of it, Aiden? I think this movie is excellent. No, I don't. Um, I... <laughs> that's going I... on the DVD box. <laughs> Yeah, this movie is excellent, you know, Inferno. Um, what did I think of Paul Blart Mallcarp? I mean, it's Paul Blart Mallcarp. Like, I I didn't hate it. I thought I was under the impression that it was going to be, like, terrible. Because it's kind of one of those things, again, people just laugh at the name, I think. Like, mm. they just kind of go, <laughs> Paul Blart Mallcarp, you know. And obviously it was a meme movie. And most of the movies that get memed by internet culture... I generally don't like. Yeah. And yes, that includes Shrek. Pause for controversy. Um, I should say, I liked Shrek when I was a kid, but it's one of those movies that like I, I don't see the appeal now. I um, went back and watched Shrek a little while ago, so I remember I texted you when I was when I was watching it, and you just were not best pleased <laughs> about my life choices, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> I think Shrek 2 is okay. Shrek 2 Shrek is the best is... of the bunch, I would say. I think the yeah. jokes work a lot better in that one, personally speaking. I think but anyway, the, the this first is not one has aged the most. That's probably the biggest problem with the first one. I mean, like, it has Matrix this references is not the Shrek in it. And who the fuck even likes the Matrix anymore? Um, I do. Yeah, and you're wrong. They're all good. Um, <laughs> Are there? No. The no. fourth one is actually the best. Matrix Revolutions um, is kind of like the Paul Blart of that series. Well, you mean it's surprisingly excellent. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, my thoughts on Paul Blart are this. I, I didn't hate it, but it left absolutely no impression on me whatsoever, yeah. I would say. Outside of a few chuckles here and there. Well, I was expecting to turn the mics on for this and just be, like, outraged. And just be like, this movie's a piece of fucking shit. But it isn't that. But also, it's kind of just nothing It kind of reminded me of a movie that, like, you would watch as, like, family movie night. Yeah, it's... it's... In that it's kind of... It's inoffensive. It's kind of got something for everyone but also nothing for anyone kind of thing where like it's got a bit of action it's got a bit of comedy but it doesn't lean in any particular direction far enough to be of any note but also it's the kind of thing that you can watch for 90 minutes without being like god i've wasted my life it's just it just starts and then ends yeah it's also 87 minutes that sort of a thing. It's, you know, it's mm. below standard feature length runtime, so it does... It's easy breezy. Yeah, very easy I mean, breezy. there's nothing There's nothing here that you're going to remember. Like, it's not particularly... Like, it's competently made, but it's not particularly interestingly directed. No, but, I mean, have you ever seen anything else that Happy Madison have done? 
like because well i've seen like um yeah a couple of the adam sandler films outside of the adam sandler ones whereas in like because obviously adam sandler back in his heyday like those were movies made by you know different companies you know he was just kind of the star yeah. of them. whereas like you know happy madison is basically he just funds him and his friends making movies so like they can go on, on holidays <laughs> yeah. and give them shit loads of money because yeah. do you know what the budget for paul black morkoff is It'll be something ridiculous. How okay? How much do you think this movie cost to make? Realistically, looking at it, how much do you think this movie cost to make? Eighty million dollars. No, I'm joking. Um, I or I'll frame well, it this way: How much money do you think you could have made this for? Oh, I could have made this for ten pounds and a ham sandwich. <laughs> yeah, because it looks <laughs> like it. <laughs> if anything, I could turn out a slightly better product, but it's um. I get. I'm trying to think now because it's going to be something offensive. It it is. Offensive. I I would, I would guess the budget of this movie to be about 15 million. If I was being like realistic, you could make this movie for 15 million dollars. Yeah, and I would say One that's not million. an unreasonable guess. I think like because you know, like that's a fair that's a fairly standard budget over like a, a, a yeah, and especially a comedy that's got a big star in it. Yeah, and when you also consider like for a movie like this, they've got to rent out an entire shopping mall. You know, like yeah, stuff yeah. like that does add up to the budget, but. Uh, your guess was fifteen million. You were incorrect because I thought it would be. It's too low. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, the budget for this movie was twenty six million dollars. <laughs> what okay. did they spend twenty six million dollars on, other than Adam Sandler and Kevin James's salaries? I mean, was Adam yeah, Sandler right. even involved in this movie? I mean, other than his company, he's got an exec producer credit. Yeah. So. Um, but he's made money off it. <laughs> but do you know what's even more obscene? And I think this really what? kind of plays into why the movie's memed as much as it is. Do you know how much money this movie made? I'm guessing fucking billions. A hundred and eighty-three point three million dollars at the box Holy office. Holy shit! That okay. many people paid money to see this in the cinema. Well, I guess Kevin James is a big star. Is he? It's kind of the thing, it's not really translated over here, the Kevin James phenomenon, I don't think. But yeah, he's been on, like, sitcoms and stuff. Like, he's kind of, he's, he's around, he's a famous guy. What was his sitcom? Was he King of Queens? Was that his sitcom? Uh, King of Queens, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. I think I've seen a couple of episodes. The classic fat guy, hot wife sitcom. Ah, uh, yes, the Flintstones. Not, I just want to say, not that fat guys can't be hot or have hot wives. I'm just saying it is a formula that is used in sitcoms. And the Adams family. And the Adams family. Although the Raul Julia version of um, Gomez is not a fat guy. No. In, him and Morticia are both stunningly beautiful in that version. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hmm. So Kevin James falls down a lot in this movie. Um, he certainly does. He certainly does. Like He does his stunt work. I mean, there is one thing that he does in this movie that i watched and was like jesus christ where he like um charges into the glass door and then kind of bounces off of it and then bounces a couple of more times across the floor <laughs> like it looked genuinely quite yeah. painful yeah i mean i'll say this i didn't find kevin james to be too off-putting in this no he's kind of likable but i think that's just because like paul is just a, a heartless like, like a nice person he's not other than when he yeah, gets to a fight I'll say, with that woman. I'll say this for the movie. 
Yeah, that's the thing. The early scenes, there's a few moments where it's like, oh, do they know, like, what is this character like? I was kind of expecting Paul Blart to be more of a jerky character. Yeah. Especially, like, yeah, because when he gets into the fight with that woman, they're kind of showing, like, oh, he's, you know, he kind of escalates the situation a bit. But then he and works he also kind of show that, like... That's the thing. Yeah. He makes that very clear. And he also kind of shows, like, he, he takes himself a bit too seriously. Like, like, he takes his position, like, a bit too seriously. It's, like, kind of the joke in the first act. Although he does deliver a great line when he sees those two women fighting, which I wrote down, where he goes, Ladies, problem. Genesis? <laughs> What's the Genesis? <laughs> which I liked a lot. Um, I think I like this movie now. <laughs> I, just, but, I think, like, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one, to be honest, because overall... I should say, like, I'm really quite stupid, so there were a few moments in this movie that I did laugh at. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it, but, like, I think... What I will say is I, I was pleasantly surprised because... When he suggested this, and you know, I knew it was like a Happy Madison, uh, Adam Sandler production. I was expecting something a lot cruder than what we got. Yeah, it's surprisingly wholesome, isn't it? But there's not even really any like fart gags from what I remember. There, there's one scene that revolves around fart gags. He has a he has a rumbly a rumbly tumbly in one scene when he's trapped in the air vent, and that's how they yeah. know he's there because he farts. No, but he's just, it's just his tummy rumbling. I he says, oh, I skipped lunch. And it, like, reverberated no, down he's... the air vents. I thought that's what was happening. I think it's just his tummy. I think it's just his tummy. I thought he was farting. I thought that was the level that we were on. And I say this I as somebody who always big... thinks fart jokes are funny, so... I think he did a big shit in his pants. That, yeah. I feel like it should have just ran down his leg and onto the, the criminals. That would have been a lot funnier. Oh, the, the, the gag that I did laugh at as well, if we're just talking about stuff that made us laugh a little bit. <laughs> Is when he had uh, when the bad guy had the gun on him, and he wants the phone because the phone's got all the codes in it or whatever. So Paul Blart throws it over to him, uh, and uh, the guy like kind of stumbles to catch it, and then he like he has like a bottle of hot sauce in his pocket, and he like just lobs it in the dude's eye, and then like the, like the. <laughs> I can't believe you laughed at this part. I hated this part. I hated it. I did. It made me chuckle. It made me chuckle. <laughs> I mean, the rest of the movie was pretty devoid of laughs for the most part. <laughs> it was just his face when he went, oh, should have capitalised on that, because he just doesn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> he just throws the hot sauce. <laughs> and it just, like, yeah. In, like know, a really, yeah, really dramatic scene. He squirts kind of Tabasco into somebody's eye. And then, like, just doesn't do anything. Yeah, and then in the next scene, that guy's just fine. <laughs> just have, like, a, well, a red eye for the rest of the movie. It's a comedy. <laughs> I feel like, I don't know, like, ultimately this movie I found kind of frustrating just because I think I've seen a couple of other, like, Happy Madison movies in my time, sadly. And they mm. all have this very same cheap quality about them. Like, this is a really yeah, like the- poorly put together film as well. Like, it's slapdash yeah. to fuck. I mean, I would say I've seen films that I thought were more offensively slapdash than theirs. I mean, this is clearly, like... It- you know, they, they clearly didn't spend a lot of time making this, I don't think. But, um, and, you know, it's like shot for coverage more so than any kind of directorial flair. Yeah, it's all very flat and just, it's like they just sit yeah. in the camera and go, do, do the scene. And then they just sort yeah. of move the camera. Like, it's almost like there's no real like, lighting outside of the lights in the mall. 
you know like it feels pretty much yeah yeah it just feels very much like they just had this script and then kevin james was around and adam sandler was like yo do you want to make some fucking money and kevin james was like yeah dude he's like right fall well over. you say that but kevin uh james is the, one of the credited screenwriters on paul blart mall cup that's so sad. Um, he wrote this <laughs> clearly he had a vision in his head for this paul blart character and i just i feel like this movie just doesn't <laughs> do that justice because yeah like, i don't really know what the joke is supposed to be with paul blart like he's just kind of there because like there are times they go into fat, the jokes about him being fat and they kind of go in on that real hard at times and then well what i thought was funny is that they also have the the one guy the uh paul's um mate the the overweight uh, black dude yeah whose name escapes me but um like I, I like that they had to get a guy in who's fatter than kevin james so that when kevin james is like starts to be an action hero towards the end they can now have jokes they can still have the fat jokes <laughs> <laughs> they've, st- they've still got they've got one fatty left <laughs> it's like come on man what are we doing like yeah like this is like, this whole movie is just one extended fat joke because there's a bit where those two are at the bar at one point right and they're just having like a nacho eating contest <laughs> for like no reason like apropos of nothing well it's just a setup for him to get his mouth spicy and then he drinks alcohol by accident there are definitely better ways for you to incorporate into your script a character having to you know accidentally drink alcohol that doesn't involve a nacho eating contest but there's a lot of stuff in this script that just really baffles me um like the romance between paul and amy is just completely non-existent Sorry, who, who's amy uh budget anna faris yeah thank you thank you okay <laughs> is that an offensive thing it, to say <laughs> um no i think it's fine because they're both white right yeah that that yeah that's very that's very true it's very true um, Whereas if we were saying it about uh, some non-white actors, it could be perceived as racist. That, yeah, um, this is why the marketing route can't go on holiday. How do we know these things? Like, what are we to do? Well, let's ask the um, racism testing ocelot. <laughs> I don't think that's racist. But don't do it too. It may be sexist. Hey, look, you're not the sexism duck, all right? <laughs> yeah, we fired him. Because he was too sexy. He was a right prick. He was very... He had some deeply held misogynistic views. He really did. He spat on that woman. Beth, I mean Beth, obviously. He spat on Beth. He spat on the one woman who's ever been on this podcast. <laughs> She's never coming back. Yeah, we won't have any more. That is our Kino Inferno promise to you, the listener. But going back to uh, Fat Man Who Falls Down and Budget, uh, Adam Farris, um the romance between them is just so non-existent throughout most of this movie. Like, if anything, she seems really quite put off by Paul, especially yeah. the beginning parts of the movie. Like, when they're at the bar and he's, like, sort of drunkenly trying to hit on her, she is incredibly uncomfortable being in his presence. And then he doesn't really do much else throughout the movie other than, you know, the little Die Hard parody, and then she's just all over him at the end, and I'm like, wow, this doesn't work one yeah it doesn't bit. really you would think there'd be a scene where he like wins her round a bit more because they flirt a bit to begin with and she clearly likes his random facts but yeah it's kind of weird because they introduce that one guy the pen salesman who's like a dickhead who's also trying to get with her and then his character doesn't really do much else after that either yeah again because i was there like okay so this is the romantic comedy setup where like he's going to be the boyfriend that paul has to to overcome or whatever 
But no, he's just there. And I guess like the thing is, he's just like a pussy when the the um, the hostage situation starts. Whereas Paul's like, I'm gonna save the day. I think ultimately that's how I would just describe this movie. It's just there. It doesn't have much purpose. It's just there. Yeah, everything just kind of slides into place, and then that's the end of the movie. With some really slapdash editing in places, there's some really bad cuts in some of these places. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's, it's a happy Madison film. It was made in over a long weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's I I I can't like I said I can't put my finger on why this movie has become so popular within meme culture. I mean, it goes far as the one that I sent you, which is Paul Blart Flesh Mall where it's just a <laughs> shopping mall with Paul Blart's face and flesh stretched over it. And I don't know why that's funnier to me than anything else in this movie. I mean, this movie also is like, it's very 2009. Like, a lot of the references. Like, the fact that he's always going around on the Segway and that's like a source of humour. I mean, the, he plays Rock Band. At he plays one Rock point. Band, that's right. And one plays... of those little robot things comes out at one point. Mm-hmm. He plays Detroit Rock you know City one. on Rock Band, and I was like, that's much too good a song to be in Paul Blart Mall Cop. It was epic when that happened. But then, obviously, you know, Gene Simmons likes to be paid, so of course he allowed it to be used in Paul Blart Mall Cop. This movie would have been better if Jay and Silent Bob were in it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be as wholesome. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. But it would. But if when be a Paul Blart was going around in the fucking uh, air vent or whatever, it would be better if Jay Muse was just there, like scooch to the nude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think pretty much any film could be improved by the addition of Jay and Silent Bob. I think I've said that before on the podcast, but I'm going to say it again. I believe it clear. was when we discussed Scream Three because they have a cameo yes. in Scream Three. And I think they should have been in the rest of the movie, as they are, you know, like in Dogma, where they just turned up like halfway through the movie <laughs> to stay. I think they should have stayed. Like, even at the end, three. when Sydney and Roman are like having their big scene at the end, like Jay and Silent Bob's just be in the room with. Them. Yeah, Jay should be commenting on the scene as it unfolds, because <laughs> that's top bands. Um. Well, before we move, I, I think we might actually be done with Paul Blart. Honestly, I have really, nothing to say about this movie. This is the thing. I actually feel a little bit disappointed because when I suggested that we talk about this movie on the show, I was expecting it to be, you know, uh, a golden ticket to Banterville. But it's just not. Like, There's just not that much to talk about. It's really just not that good. And I know that's something that we all kind of knew anyway. Like, I don't think anybody goes, Paul Black Mall Cop, cracking film that No, is. I don't know anyone who thinks it's like a, a good film. I know somebody who defends it, and then I watched the movie last night, and I, I did send him a text message going, I love you, buddy, but I don't understand how you can defend this. I really don't. It's just... It's not the worst thing that Happy Madison have put out. That's one thing I definitely want to say. They've made far worse fucking movies than this. Jack and Jill springs to mind. Jack and Jill is awful. And the fact that Dean Cundy, the Dean Cundy, the guy who, you know, fucking, you know, worked with John Carpenter and did Jurassic Park and Back to the Future, you know, like one of the greatest cinematographers to ever work in the industry. He shot Jack and Jill. Why? Yeah, well, you gotta make money. I mean, he I'm more, I'm more offended money. by the okay. fact that Al Pacino's in that Al movie. Al Pacino, I don't know why he is in that movie other than money. I mean, yeah. I think, right, I'll be real with you, though. This is the thing. And I've said this off air to Abdul, I think. I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast. But since we're talking about this, 
I think Al Pacino. Now, obviously, if people aren't familiar with Jack and Jill and the scenes that we're referring to with, with Al, just type the word dunk as in Dunkin' Donuts, Achino as in Pacino. Smush that together, YouTube it, you'll see the horrors that await it's you. It's something. But I think... I think Al Pacino kind of pulls it off. Like, you can see when you watch that scene, because people kind of meme that scene, and they're like, oh my god, I can't believe... Adam Sandler would do this. There's like denigrating the legend of Al Pacino. What was Al thinking? Like all of that kind of stuff. But I think when you watch that scene, he is in on the joke. Like he knows what he's doing. Whereas I think like when you compare that to say some of the stuff that Robert De Niro's been yeah. recently, I don't think De Niro's in on the joke. No. I think his mind has started to wander. I think Pacino knows that Don Cacino is funny in an ironic way. Yeah. Like, I think he knows Because I saw some clips from, what was that film that De Niro did with Zac Efron? Was it Dirty Grandpa, was it called? Something like that? Dirty Sanchez. <laughs> Dirty Sanchez feet Robert De Niro. I'd watch the shit out of that. Just Robert De Niro doing a butt chuck. And then... <laughs> launching himself through a window. <laughs> He'd be so intense about it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, yes, uh, yeah, Dirty Grandpa is the movie. Yeah, I've and, seen some clips that of that, is, and that is it's like watching De Niro just debase himself. It's really quite upsetting to watch. Whereas I think Pacino makes it out of Jack and Jill with his dignity intact. It helps that he's kind of a glorified cameo. He's not in the entire movie like De Niro is. And to be fair, Pacino is the only reason I watched that film because I saw the Don Cacino scene and was like, I need to see this. Like, this seems hilarious to me. And yeah, I think I would agree with you because I've never seen Jack and Jill. I know the scene you're referring to because I've I've seen it more times than I'd actually admit. <laughs> I've watched that scene because it's it's kind of funny, right? Like, <laughs> I think it's it's funny, but not in the way they intend it to be funny. <laughs> but this is what I'm saying. I think it's funny. I think Al Pacino knows the way in which it's funny. I think he knows it's funny because he's a dignified actor saying Dunkachinos and rapping. I think like, it's because ultimately, like, he's clearly enjoying himself. That's the thing, isn't it? Like, yeah, this is what I mean. Like, he's getting a kick out of it. Like, I think I can find it funny on that level. Whereas sometimes when you see some of these comedies with De Niro, I'm like, oh, mate. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just there like, oh, come on, man. It's like, De Niro, you're, you're better, better than this. Better. Come on. You know, we've we all know that. Whereas I actually think it's kind of it's kind of based of Al Pacino to be like, yeah, I'll do like half a day's filming for some fucking Adam Sandler thing. Well, I've got a rap about Dunkerty, whatever. Man. <laughs> like, As opposed to you know Robert De Niro doing an entire movie where he like tries to lech on like barely legal girls. It's you know there's a there's a world oof, of difference really, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we've heard what me and Mark think of um, the Kevin James epic. Paul Blart Morecambe. And I apologise if you were expecting um, an in-depth discussion of the ins and outs and the, you know, the intricate characters. Yeah, I mean, I was all ready to be watching a terrible movie and to be dissecting it and tearing it apart, but there's just not really that much to yeah, say. Like, uh, however, one of America's most esteemed um, movie critics, the late, great Roger Ebert, has something to say about this movie. Um, so I'm just going to pull that up real quick. Yeah, I'm glad we're talking about this. Have you read this, Mark, the, the Ebert review? I haven't read the review, so this is new to me, but I know his rating because obviously I messaged you about it. I knew that that was a thing. Yeah. So I read this after watching the film. Um, so this is from January 14th, 2009. Uh, it is by Roger Ebert himself, still available on uh, rogerebert.com. Uh, the article, the review is titled, 
Lone Rider of the Purple Segway. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read the whole thing because it's brief, yeah. but it's it's incredible. Paul Blart Mall Cop is a slapstick comedy with a hero who is a nice guy. I thought that wasn't allowed anymore. He's a single dad, bringing up his daughter with the help of his mum. He takes his job seriously. He may be chubby, but he's brave and optimistic. I like that he's saying that as if like being chubby would imply that you're not brave or optimistic. <laughs> um, and he's in a PG-rated film with no nudity, except for a bra strap. I don't remember the bra strap. Mm-hmm. Oh, in the fight with the... Oh, yeah, 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 the, yeah, the, yeah, the woman the that he has a scrap with gets yeah. uh, always gets her baps out. Because her shirt comes off, yeah. Um, with no nudity except a bra strap, and no jokes at all about bodily functions. Now, that's not entirely yeah, true. Yeah, that's a that you're lying there, Some tummy rumbly, tummy rumbly fartsy scene. But I guess there's no piss or shit. No. Or cum, for that matter. <laughs> yeah, no cum. What's even... <laughs> <laughs> blast busting up. Um... That's terrible. I'm sorry I said that. <laughs> What's even more amazing, Paul Blart Morkop isn't wholesome as a code word for boring. It's a slam bang preposterous, uh, uh, sorry, it's as slam bang preposterous as any R rated comedy you can name. It's just that Paul Blart and the film's other characters don't feel, <laughs> characters is a strong word, <laughs> don't feel the need to use the F word as the building block of every sentence. They rely on the rest of the English language, which proves adequate. <laughs> Kevin James, brackets, the King of Queens, close brackets, stars as Officer Blart, who looks like the result of an experiment combining the genomes of Jackie Gleason and Nathan Lane. Good shout, Eber, actually. Yeah, that's the first that's, thing you've yeah, said. That's pretty oh, unmoneyary, but well done. Uh, he dreams of making it into the state police and indeed is in great physical shape, but, ten- but tends to collapse because of hypoglycemia. <laughs> He carries around little sugar packets the way some people pack nitro for angina. He's a veteran security officer at a giant mall in West Orange, New Jersey, which is a connection with uh, Moraz, by the way. They're both set in New Jersey. Oh, yes. Which he patrols aboard a Segway, a vehicle he has so mastered that he can even go in reverse without looking. <laughs> See, people love this movie so much. <laughs> uh, I'm going to skip Sandler over the hang I'm going to skip over <laughs> I'm going to skip over this bit uh, because he's, it's just summarizing the plot. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Everything is a sitcom until Officer Blart goes into action in an, astonishing, in an astonishingly inventive cat and mouse chase past myriad product placements, all of which find uses. Now, would you describe the chase sequence in the, or rather the cat and mouse antics of Paul Blart Cup as astonishingly inventive um no it's somebody on a segway chasing somebody on a skateboard yeah that's, that's about it. it for the most part there's a bit where the segway I mean, the... jumps from one roof to another he also falls in the ball pit which is established earlier he does which is probably the closest this movie comes to using its 26 million dollar budget <laughs> 26 million it's all on screen, baby! Oh my God. The, uh, the movie even discovers a new angle on the old hiding the ventilation shaft routine. Paul Blatt emerges... I mean, did he write this review as a bit? It's Paul Blatt be, emerges as like, a this hero. This can't be serious. And something else. Now listen, this is the bit that truly is an astonishing paragraph, so I want you to listen to this. Paul Blatt emerges as a hero. And something else. Kevin James illustrates how lighting and camera angles 
can affect our perception of an actor. In the early scenes, he's a fat schlub, but after he goes into action, the camera lowers subtly, the lighting changes, and suddenly he's a good-looking action hero, ready for business. Um... He demonstrates... <laughs> and I should point out that this is Roger Ebert uh, long before his tragic death from cancer, so he is um, a larger gentleman at this point, bear in mind. He demonstrates what fat men have been secretly be- have secretly believed for, some- for a long time. Should Daniel Craig someday retire, I am supporting Kevin James for the next James Bond. <laughs> this is a bit. So that is this is a bit. That is Ebert's review, <laughs> and we should say Ebert gave films four stars rather than five, and he gives this three. It's kind of baffling in a way. I mean, I. On the one hand, I do understand part of the intent of his review. The fact that he talks about it being like a wholesome comedy that isn't reliant on like gross out humor yeah. and swearing to be funny, quote unquote funny, um, is admirable, especially these days, because I can't think of a recent comedy I've seen that wasn't outrageous or raunchy or vile or gross or anything like that. I mean. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to think of one that wasn't like a kid's film, I guess. Even then, and this is a bit of a bugbear of mine. Kids films these days will always have like dick and fart jokes for the adults kind of thing. Yeah, there's... It'll always be like, oh, the kids don't get it and we're going to put some knob gags in. It's just a bit like, oh, right, like If that stuff's subtle, okay. fine, but I've seen a few examples in recent years where it's a little bit gratuitous, I thought. Yeah. But, you know, that's a story for Yeah, like, and this is, this is, as you know, this is one of my issues with the Shrek films. I feel that there's too much of that. And the reason that people retroactively like them as adults is because they're like, oh, there's loads of humour that would go over a kid's head. And it's like, trust me, it didn't. You remember those gags from when you were a kid. Like, yeah. That said, the bit in the uh, the second Shrek movie where the police pull them over and like, um, Puss in Boots has a bag of catnip. <laughs> and he's like, that is not mine. That does make me laugh. That is funny. <laughs> I, I just, like, further to that, I just like the fact that that's a show that exists <laughs> in Shrek that they, yeah, they watch the like, their version yeah. of Cops. <laughs> Shrek 2 is good, I'm, I'll say that. Shrek 2 is good. The rest of the franchise, less so. But yeah, I, I, I get what Ebert is saying about like the wholesome crowd, especially in the late 2000s. Like, there was a real swing towards like every comedy movie. Because this is actually something that's kind of gone the way of the dodo, is that like there were a lot of comedy movies coming out in the 2000s, and a lot of it was that kind of... Um, this is no disrespect, man, but that kind of like Will Ferrell school of comedy. Yeah, that um, then sort of got furthered by stuff like The Hangover because as soon as The Hangover came out, that yeah. exploded a whole bunch of new comedies as well, uh, and some good ones as yeah, well. Yeah, and this is something you don't see anymore as, as much. Like you don't really see like the the like R-rated comedies coming out as like being a big tentpole thing. I'd say the last time that happened was like the big Judd Apatow movement. Which then sort of birthed the Seth Rogen. Yeah, well, that kind of that kind of is the late two thousands, yeah. isn't it? And then it kind of dovetails into the twenty tens a little bit. But I think that's kind of died out. Like, when was the last time you saw like a big comedy that was like, I guess, like Bridesmaids? I guess was was kind of one. But even then, you know, that was kind of more. That was around this time as well. I mean, and I love Bridesmaids. I think Bridesmaids is genuinely hilarious. Mm. That's such a good comedy. Um, Women can shit themselves too. <laughs> that scene where they're shitting in the wedding dresses is genuinely comedy gold. It's so funny. It is funny, to be fair. It is funny. I quite like Bro- To be fair, I like Bro- I, I like it a lot. My favourite gag of the movie is still when uh, Kristen Wiig calls that little girl a cunt. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. That's good stuff. Um, 
no, by f- although um, before we, you know, go back to rating Paul Blackmore Cop, I just want to flag up my, what my favourite comedy from that era was. It's absolutely Get Him to the Greek. I think that is fucking hilarious from start to finish. I don't love that movie as much. I think as it's so fucking funny. It's just got so many great. It has movies. its moments. It has its moments, certainly. It's very good. I think it's just the fact that I find Russell Brand to be intolerable. That it's kind of. I think every every other character in that movie is hilarious. I just find him so annoying. But that's kind of the point that of his I character, isn't gamble. it? He's supposed to be. No, I know, but it's like I, I find I don't find him, but I don't find him entertainingly annoying. Is my point? Like I just find him fair, that's annoying fair, that's from fair. the start. But so we we got massively sidetracked. I think P Diddy's funny in that movie. Huh? I think P Diddy is. P funny Diddy in that is movie. the is the. Puff Daddy. He steals that movie from everybody else. Like he's unbelievably <laughs> good at that film. <laughs> the bit where he's stroking, like they're in the hide, he's like stroking the furry wall is hilarious. The line "You cannot <laughs> outrun me, I am black" is one of the funniest things <laughs> I've ever seen. Like he's genuinely like his delivery is really yeah. funny in that movie. Like like the scene that was where he's just like staring uh, Jonah Hill in the eyes, just being like, "It feels like seventies pussy." <laughs> You get my whole house done like this. <laughs> my house gonna look like a fucking werewolf. <laughs> it's so, so funny. So, but, um, Paul Blart Ball Cop, Aiden, what is your verdict? What are you doing? Hang on, I didn't say what my favourite comedy of that era Nobody was. Nobody cares. Mark. It's uh, either Anchorman, which is funny, I don't care what anyone says. It's overrated. Or it's. Nah, it's good. Watch overrated. it again. And watch the version that's made from the outtakes. Boom. Um, it's either Anchorman or it's Walk Hard the Dewey Cox Walk Hard is fantastic to be fair Walk Hard is if we're talking American yeah, comedy, yeah. I should say. no Walk Hard is very of that cool. specific of that specific type yeah no I like that because um, if I was going to, to actually since we're on the subject of wholesome more or, well wholesome as in not profane uh, comedy movies of the 2000s era this is quite a bit earlier this is I think 2004 but I would actually call favourite Napoleon Dynamite. I've not seen that in years. There's a movie that no. features... We should do it on the pod, because I've been having a hankering to rewatch it. But that is a movie that I watched a lot of the time. There's no cursing in that. There's no... There's not really any sexual humour. The only thing that's like vaguely a bit raunchy is like they have the whole bit about the breast enlarging uh, herbal supplement or whatever. But again, there's nothing like... There's no bits where someone's tits blow up or something, which would happen <laughs> in an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> Um, you know, I I I I liked that movie a lot as a teen. Haven't seen it for a while. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen it as well. Um, I like it when he says, "I like your sleeves; they're real big." It's good stuff. Good stuff. So, Aiden, what's your verdict (laughs) on Paul Blart Molecop? It's going in the inferno, mate. Yeah, Uh, because. Basically, it's not the worst film I've ever seen, and I'm not actually saying we should confine it to the flames. But if if you lost it from the cinematic canon, it wouldn't matter to anyone. And also, actually, it's a good thing we brought up uh, Napoleon Dynamite, because if this movie had that kind of tone and that kind of like care in the direction and the crafting of it, like it was kind of like about an awkward loser and it was like how he kind of overcomes that and you know people kind of see his value anyway which is kind of like that is one of Painly Dynamite essentially yeah. right it's like a movie about a, an awkward gawky teen who kind of becomes like a hero in a very low rent way like there's no stupid action hero shit it's just like 
he does a weird dance routine. <laughs> gets his gets his friend elected as like uh, you know student body president. Like if that if that was the kind of stakes we were dealing with in this movie, if it was more just like a character comedy and it was kind of low key. I think they could have done something with this Paul Blart character where he's like essentially a good natured guy, but life just kind of shits on him constantly. And it's about him like overcoming that to some degree. You know, that could be entertaining in its own way. I think what we have is a movie where Kevin James wants to be a star. And I mean, he wrote, he co wrote this movie, so it kind of checks out. But like, I think he's very conscious of that stuff that Roger Ebert was talking about. Like, I can make myself cool and an action hero. But at the same time, he wants to be the funny character. And I think it doesn't quite work. And to me, this is like, these kind of things where they center around like I'm a kind of a schlubby loser and blah 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 but at the end the girl is going to see my value I think they work better when the character is actually a schlubby loser and it's more about I mean not to, I don't know why I'm bringing Napoleon Dynamite up so much but like, it's a better I think that's movie. a good example <laughs> yeah. it is a better movie but I think the that's a good example because it's a movie where the stakes are incredibly low nothing that happens in that film matters to anyone except the characters we're following and even then you know there are characters who comment on the fact that like nothing that re- that's going on really matters you know <laughs> there's no point where napoleon has to fend off like marauding <laughs> bank robbers or something right like he he's, it's just about like pedro wants to be the student body president and they get him elected student body president at the end and the rest of it is just the characters kind of bumbling around doing whatever right and i kind of think you know if that was kind of the tone of this movie, maybe it'd be interesting. Maybe it's kind of cult status. It's meme status would be kind of justified. But as it is, it's just a mediocre Happy Madison product. It's not the best they've ever done. It's not the worst they've ever done. I'm sure Adam Sandler and uh, Kevin James got nice new kitchens out of it. Um, they certainly made enough money to make a sequel. Sequel that came if you like want something to watch seven you... years later, something like that. Yeah, well, I think it kind of followed on from the meme status of the original, right? Like that kind of built over the years. But it's one of those things again. This, I, I just need to take a little moment to 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 just take the listener aside, right? I'm aware that most of our listeners are millennials, right, or that kind of age range. I need I need to say something to them on the pod, and I need them to absorb it take in the wise words of Aiden okay. and go forth into their life. Okay, let's get a little drama. And listen, I'm going to get real close to the mic drama. for this. Just because something is a meme doesn't mean it's good. In fact, it usually means it's bad. Yeah. Most meme things are shit. But Shrek is kind of good, though. I'll give you Shrek because I'm, I'm in the minority. I understand that. <laughs> but all I'm going to say is the Star Wars prequels. Yeah. They're not good. They're really not. That's why the memes exist. Yeah. You just you just think they're good because you've seen memes, and now when you watch them, you laugh because all the like all the dialogue is memes. Those movies are really shit. They're fucking terrible. They're so bad. They're so bad. And I don't care what anybody says. Phantom Menace is the best of a bad bunch. It just is. Phantom Menace is the only one that's filmed on actual sets. Yeah. And it has Darth Maul in it. It's Darth Maul in it. Peter Serafinowicz voices him. It's fucking sweet as fuck. That's awesome. Yeah. And it has Liam Neeson in it the movie. Does. And pod racing. Pod racing is good. But the other two movies are fucking shit. <laughs> um, so, oh, and just since we're on the uh, controversial takes, 
Revenge of the Sith is the worst it one. It fucking is, isn't it? It's so boring. It's so boring. Revenge of the Sith is worse than Rise of Skywalker. I actually agree. Rise of Skywalker, at Rise least. Rise of Skywalker's funny. Rise of Skywalker got such a massive belly <laughs> laugh out of me in the cinema when I thought they just followed killed Chewbacca. <laughs> I was like, they just blew up Chewbacca. <laughs> Mate, I started laughing in the, within the first five minutes because, right, we, we were straying from the point of Paul Blart Morgan. We'll get back to your rating in a minute. But the first five minutes of that movie is like Kylo Ren just running around the Sith planet or whatever it is. And uh, they go in, like he goes downstairs of the Sith planet, and there's like this big pod, like this big tank or flotation tank, with just a load of Snokes, a load of Supreme Leader Snokes just bobbing around. And I I started laughing then, and I did not stop laughing until the end of the movie. <laughs> Honestly, I barely remember that movie, other than Chewbacca's fake death. And mm. uh, Palpatine being puppeted around by a little mechanical crane, which is one of the stupidest yeah. things I've seen in a movie for quite some time. It's awesome. It's so awesome. I like it when... Um, no, actually, as well, the one thing, the other thing that makes Rise of Skywalker objectively better than uh, Revenge of the Sith is it features a little fella called Babu Freak. This is very true. Which is the best name ever conceived for a Star Wars character because <laughs> he's a little because he's a little ass freak <laughs> also <laughs> but also he is just loving it at all times and that's the kind of energy I respect in a side character they take C-3PO to him they're like you need to wipe this cunt's memory now so that we can access secret Sith data files I don't remember but then but then Babu Freak's just like yeah sure fuck it let's do this and then he he's just down for it he's up for it he's down for it he's He's all over the place he's just vibing he's just vibing and he's a little ass freak and you've got to love it (laughs) so what I'm saying is Babu Freak 10 out of 10 Mark what did you think of Paul Black (laughs) Mooka Um, yeah, it's going straight in the flames. I mean, there's an energy crisis and I need shit to burn and I will not miss this. Cool. Let's do more outs. Yeah. So I was just telling TS here we got to find Jay and Silent Bob. If there's anyone that can help us out, it's the two guys that have even less to do than us. What is this shit? Everyone's looking for us today. We're ducking Trisha because she wants to talk to Obi-Wan here about her video setup. Why him? Silent Bob's an electrical genius. He won the science fair in eighth grade by turning his mom's vibrator into a CD player and used some chicken wire and shit. Motherfuckers like MacGyver. No, motherfuckers better than MacGyver. Knock it off. And it's that kind of smarts we need, right, Mopey? Leave me out of this. So we need you to embark on a little sabotage mission on behalf of TS's love life. So Morats is Kevin Smith's 1995 follow-up in some ways to his movie Clerks, which came out an indeterminate amount of years beforehand. There's just no way to know. Certainly not available by Google. Um, but the point is this. Uh, it's his first movie in colour. It's his first studio movie. It's based around, as the title suggests, uh, a shopping mall. But the twist here is that we're not following the clerks of the stores, as we were in Clerks. We're following the clientele of the mall, more so than... Uh, the people who work there. Um, I will go into more plot details. I need to check Wikipedia to try and remember some of the characters' names. We never do so, 
one day I'm going so, to record an actual jingle. Uh, we fought. We never do any research. So we follow T.S. Quint, played by uh, somebody called Jeremy London, and uh, Brody Bruce, uh, played by Jason Lee. Uh, they have broken up with their respective girlfriends, and uh, depending on what version you watch, they either think, fuck it, let's just hang out with them all to forget our woes, or they get involved in an attempted assassination of a local politician, which comes about through borderline incompetence on their part, and they decide to lie low at them all. Um, now, we should say for the purpose of the listening audience, I watched the standard version. Mark watched the extended version for this. I have seen the extended version, but also the extended version is like two solid hours of this, and the standard version, the superior version, in my opinion, is 90 minutes long. So, yeah, I. And it should be said that most of the. Sorry. I didn't actually realize the version that I'd acquired was the extended version. So when I started it up and it said it was two hours, I was like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> Story of Mark's life. He's always getting uh, the extended version when he wanted the standard. But I'd seen the standard version of this I'm movie. I'm not sure what I mean by that. <laughs> I'm not sure either. I'm just going to pretend it Sorry. was a, a, a crude sex pun and we're just going just gonna to keep on going. just going to keep on going. I think I'm implying that dicks are always too big for you. I mean... I don't like to put in a lot of effort, is what I'm trying to say. Oh. That's not staying in. Uh. Well, I'm editing this section, so I think you'll find it's going to stay in and be doubled. Uh, but no, I'd seen the standard version a couple of times, and I'd heard about the extended cut, um, and so I've, I've now seen it. Um, and I'm with you on this. Uh, the standard cut is way better. It's a much better film. Yeah. Not only because it's half an hour shorter. That half an hour is essentially the first act of the movie. It's really quite peculiar. I've seen extended yeah. cuts before, but never to the point where what was taken out is such a substantial chunk of the narrative of the film. It's actually quite baffling, but yeah. it doesn't really add a whole lot. But we'll have to talk about that later. Yeah, well, we can talk about it now because we're kind of giving the plot overview. So this is like the main point of divergence between the two versions. Is as you say, there's like an additional half hour, but it's pretty much entirely in the first act. There's a few additional bits and bobs that refer back to that extended opening as the movie goes along. But like, so do you want to just describe to the listeners? So I've obviously given the summary where they console each other over their lost loves and then go to the mall to just waste time basically and, yeah, and then and then to conclude my brief summary of the plot yeah to conclude my brief summary of the plot through a series of contrivances they both win their ladies back they do also jane silent barber there yeah like essentially yeah the standard version of this movie is they go to the mall to sort of forget their troubles they meet a cast of bizarre people that also seem to frequent the mall and then they go on a game show and they both manage to win back their loves that's kind of the plot in a nutshell there's other stuff that we'll definitely go yeah. into because the, in a way, this is like an ensemble piece because there are so many just bizarre little characters and you know, there's a lot of sort of recognizable actors. Yeah, well, it, if you're into Kevin Smith movies, there's a lot of his. Uh, it's just about stock. people who have yeah, like you go through all the characters who just hang out of this one particular more, right? Like that's the whole thing. Yeah, and um, yeah, they all kind of know each other and you know, there's little stories and they you know they've all got like histories and stuff and like. That, to me, is the strongest well, stuff in the movie, personally. I, I like all the interactions. This is something I wanted to get into. 
how old are these characters supposed to be? So Quint and Brody, which are both names from Jaws, if you're keeping score, listeners. Yes, because Jaws um, is a, a very common theme in Kevin Smith movies. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're all waiting with bated breath for the release of his movie Moose Jaws. Um, well, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think it's ever getting made, actually, but that's another story. No, probably day. not. Because <laughs> um, now he's getting swept up in uh, Clerks 3. Which seems to have been made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so there's up. that. It's coming. Um, and also, supposedly, um, Twilight of the Mall Rats is something yeah. he's talked about. Um, which is now supposedly a TV series as opposed to a movie. Well, Netflix had the wrong idea when they gave him a foot in the door with that He-Man show. Because once Kevin Smith worms his way in, he is not leaving until he's <laughs> milked that teat dry. <laughs> You have to forcibly eject him. There's no way he's leaving. And it used to be alright. When he was a big fat bloke, he used to be able to, you know, you could just get behind him and roll him out. But now he's lost all the weight. He's, he's wiry. <laughs> it goes in low and grabbing. He fights dirty. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to... Right, listen, I need to clear something up. We're going to be mean about Kevin Smith's late, late you know... Uh, latter career perhaps but i think we're both in the same uh we're in the same boat where we like his earlier stuff quite a bit right and obviously we've, we've said on the pod before that we're big fans of the characters jay and silent bob in general yeah yeah um, absolutely i truly i truly believe that no film would be uh, no film can't be improved without with the inclusion of uh, jay and silent bob it's kind of like that thing of like you can improve any movie by making it the muppets version I kind of feel that way about Jay and Silent Bob, or like, or by pretty much any movie. After. Yeah, I mean that would also work. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, you could put Jay and Silent Bob into any movie, and it would objectively improve that movie. Yeah, and yes, I'm including Schindler's List. So, come <laughs> Sophie's <at me>. choice. <laughs> I mean, just imagine, uh, you know, Oscar Schindler looking over as he's making his list, just looking over, fiddling with his glasses, and then Jay Muse pops up. Scooch to the nooch! <laughs> like, come on. It would just be a masterpiece. It would have won more Oscars. Genuinely would have. I think um, they would have made new Oscars for it. <laughs> best <laughs> yeah, I'm best Jason Mewes. I'm definitely a fan of older Kevin Smith. Like, So for anybody who doesn't know, More Rats yeah. is the second film in what is known as the Askewniverse, uh, which is a series of movies yes. made by Kevin Smith that feature the characters of Jay and Silent Bob quite predominantly. But then there's also lots of other reoccurring characters, like Brody from this movie is a recurring character in a lot of the other Askew Universe movies. And a lot of the plots slightly yeah. intertwine and events are referenced. And yeah, they're, they're, there's like a, a loose connection between all of these movies. Yeah. Yeah, and as you say, it's mostly... The, the, the through line is mostly Jay and Silent Bob, but yeah, other characters appear... So, like, in Jane Silent and Bob Strike Back, like, Dante and Randall appear at the start of that. Um, they do, yeah. And obviously, sometimes the actors play different characters. So, the guy who plays Dante's in this as yeah, the third um, different contestant on the game show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the um, girl that plays and, Gwen um, plays Amy in Chasing Amy. She's a completely different character Amy, she plays yeah. in this movie. Uh, her character's whole shtick in this movie is she's in Changing Rooms and Silent Bob burst through the walls as she's getting changed and then she gets punched in the tit that's 
kind of her entire character. <laughs> Um, but no, no. So yeah, going so, back to what this is kind of interesting because, like, yeah, I was sorry, I was going to say about the viewer skew universe. The um, yeah, go for it. It's kind of interesting this idea of like the the shared universe and how much that is a a staple of cinema today. In a way, the skew universe is kind of the precursor to the MCU almost. Which, like, I don't think they were taking notes. Don't get me wrong. But this idea of the universe being kind of explicitly referenced as a shared thing. So obviously there's filmmakers have a recurring thing, and like especially in the nineties when um this kind of like auteur driven indie cinema was was kind of there was a boom of that kind of thing. So like famously, uh Quentin Tarantino's universe has kind of interconnected references, or there'll be yeah, like brands like the red ones, apple yeah. tobacco, which reoccurs. And like characters will have the same last name and like you can kind of infer that you know, there's there's sort of um, so like an example of that is in Inglorious Bastards, uh, Michael Fassbender's character is Lieutenant Archie Hickox, and then the British character played by Tim Roth in The Hateful Eight, his real name because obviously he has a fake name to begin with, is something Hickox there. So you can kind of infer like oh that's like a distant relative of Archie, um, and there's kind of stuff like that, but it's more there for like if you're looking for it. And like, yeah. there's a lot of directors who do that kind of thing, right? Where like they'll kind of put subtle references in, or they'll, um, you know, kind of shout out characters from previous movies or whatever. But Kevin Smith really kind of did pioneer this thing. Obviously, there are shared universes before this, but like when I think of the kind of modern shared universe of like, no, no, this is set in the same universe. It's irrefutable. Characters from one movie appear in another movie, but it's not a sequel. It's just kind of you know like Jane and Bob orbit all of these movies the quick stop is kind of referenced or, or appears in a lot of the movies and the characters within um even though like they're not all clerks movies or they're not all movies about those characters no. so it's that thing of i i genuinely think kevin smith kind of pioneered this in its cinematic form because if you think about shared universes before this it was stuff like you know uh, i mean if you want to throw it back really far you're looking at stuff like um, the Universal Monsters or Hammer Horror and things like that. Yeah. But then if you watch like three horror, Hammer Horror Frankenstein movies in a row, they're barely sequels. Like no, they're com- very they're poor kind continuity of, in those films. They flow into one another in the sense that, you know, it's always Peter Cushing as, as uh, Dr. Frankenstein, it's always Christopher Lee as Dracula. But you can watch one without having any knowledge of the others. And it's kind of the same for the Universal Monsters that obviously precedes that. Um, and, you know, obviously there are franchises prior to this, where it's, but, the, but I would argue that a franchise is not the same thing as, like, a shared universe, right? Because, you know, if you think of... Um, why can I only think of stuff that's, like, from, <laughs> from this really old but like, But just as an example, like the Planet of the Apes movies, that's a franchise, that's a sequel that's different to a shared universe. Whereas this, like there is a Clerks soon to be trilogy, but also the characters from Clerks permeate all these other movies, you know? And I I I think think that's my long and rambling way of saying that I think Kevin Smith kind of pioneered the modern shared universe for better or for worse. Well, I think this is when we think about the modern idea of the shared universe, you instantly think of the MCU because it's the biggest example of that that we have going right now. And ultimately, what is one of Kevin Smith's 
and what's you know what's Kevin Smith's biggest inspiration really is sort of comic books. Yeah, I think comic it all books, kind of yeah. links back to that initially. Um, but no, I think it, you know mm. it, he definitely, like you say, came up in that point where he's one of those sort of '90s indie author filmmakers, and you know he put those sort of things in his movies because that's the sort of shit that he loved in movies. You know, he liked all the little sort of behind the curtain, like little tidbits and connections and stuff, and he just kind of really brought that to the forefront. I mean. Obviously, you know, people did do it in movies before Clerks, but Clerks is one of the first movies where you really heard people talking about movies, and like in in the way yeah, that you know, yeah. sort of films, filmy types do talk about films, and just having these sort of general. I guess what I would say about that is because obviously this is this is something that's kind of in the water in kind of nineties indie cinema, this like postmodernism kind of thing, where you go to the movies and movies are suddenly referencing all these other movies. Uh, not just visually, but, like, the characters talk about movies. And it seems kind of trite to say now, but, like, that's kind of something that you didn't really see, or at least you didn't see to this extent prior to, yeah. um, prior to kind of, like, Tarantino, Kevin Smith, these people who were, like, filmmakers, but were also big cinephiles, in, in a sense. Yeah. Um, it should not to say that directors of previous eras were not cinephiles, it's just to say, like, this thing of, like, this kind of obsession with, with movie geekery, I suppose... It's something that definitely comes out of the 90s. And I feel like it's absolutely borne out of the fact that a lot of those filmmakers, by the time they were actually starting off their careers, you know, home video had been a thing for at least around a decade at that point. So, you know, like they were the first generation of filmmakers who could completely immerse themselves in the films that they love because, you know, like you have all the sort of previous generations, but, you know, they would be quite limited in terms of like how many times they could access these movies and such. Whereas, you know, Tarantino is known for the fact that he worked in a video store. So did Kevin Smith, you know, like they mm-hmm. completely just submerge themselves. And that's why they're, they're just so like upfront with all the references. I mean, Tarantino goes into some very obscure territory when it comes to his references. Kevin Smith's more like, ah, yeah. star Wars, Batman, you know, it's a lot more obvious. Yeah. Which is kind of what I was going to say is that I think, what sets Clerks, uh, we're just talking about Clerks, what sets that apart from, say, uh, Reservoir Dogs or, or you know, various, like Pulp Fiction, various Tarantino movies, is everyone in the, uni- everyone in the universe of Tarantino is a cinephile. Yeah. And they've seen all the movies that Tarantino has seen. And like, even in Reservoir Dogs, when they're talking about, like, um, uh, Pam Greer and all these, like, black exploitation actresses at one point, like, that you know, it very it's very much there for Tarantino, kind of being like. Uh, people say that he kind of voices his own opinions. I don't think that's necessarily true, but like, he's definitely there, kind of um, showing off his knowledge, kind of showing off. These are the conversations that like people. Like, this kind of like stuff that you you and I would talk about. Let's say. Yeah, essentially, more yeah, kind of cinephile type stuff. Whereas, I think what's interesting, what's striking about Clerks is like, these are the conversations you have with just ordinary people. It's so like when they're talking about the contractors on the Death Star and stuff like that. Yeah. It's very, um, it definitely taps into this very, like, uh, I almost want to say, like, blue collar kind of cinephile thing where it's like, it's movies that everyone's seen, like your Star Wars, your Indiana Jones, your Batman, and so forth. But they're getting into these kind of nitty gritty conversations. Um, and it really captures that thing of, like, you're, you're talking about stuff like this because you're bored. Like, that's yeah. something <laughs> that I think Kevin Smith really taps into with clerks. It's like you get into these stupid conversations about, like, well, you know, how many contractors died on the Death Star? And then the guy comes in and he's like, well, look, I'm a contractor. And, like, you know who you're working for. Those men made their choices and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, that's obviously, like, the famous example. But it's kind of it's pervasive in Morats as well. But the thing in Morats is it's more about, like, comic books, right? 
So um, there's this conversation in this where they're talking about um, could Superman uh, impregnate Lois Lane without killing her? Uh, which, by the way, is a real debate that comic book fans have had since time immemorial. Um, the answer is, who cares? I mean, it also um, flags up the, uh, you know, can Reed Richards extend every part of his body? So if he... Every part if, of his body, yes. So, you know, if, if uh, Sue Storm ever decides that she she wants to be <laughs> cleaved in twain, he can facilitate that, essentially. All I'm saying is, you know... Said on this show. If you had that power, the power of Mr. Fantastic to stretch every part of your body, what man amongst us would not add a few inches? You, you just would, wouldn't you? Just so you could helicopter you just would. a bit more. You just would. Even even if you've got a hefty one, you'd make it heftier. Just why not? <laughs> why the hell not? <laughs> I mean, all I'm saying is, you've seen The Incredibles, yeah? You've seen uh, Elastigirl. She can stretch every part of her body. Those babies just fell out. <laughs> yeah, right. She just put one leg on one side of the room, one leg on the other. Just like... yeah, there's, I can't remember. I'll have to see if I can find this, but since we're on the subject, there's a critic who wrote a really long review of, I think, Incredibles 2. Um, might have been the first one, but I think it resurfaced because of Incredibles 2. Well, they were talking at length about the eroticism of Elastigirl's uh, animation and movements to a point where you just go, buddy, you, you've just discovered that you have a fetish. That's all this is. This is not a movie review. You just now want to have sex with an elastic woman. Please find that. I really want to read it. I'll try, I'll try and track it down. Because it's very well written. I hadn't... Uh, thought about the potential eroticism of Elastigirl until I read this piece of film criticism. And now I can't watch The Incredibles without getting a stun film. Anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> Elastigirl's stretchy vulva aside. <laughs> well, it's not just the vulva. That's the thing. The whole the body whole is... Um, you're thinking too... You're thinking too small scale, mate. You're just obsessed with the vaginal area. But, like, there's bits yeah. in that film where she, like, winds her entire body around him like it's spring. <laughs> so if you're into, like, breath play, she could be very useful. <laughs> well, there's all sorts. There's all sorts. I mean, you talk about the Kama Sutra. Like, this woman's got... She has the potential to, to discover hitherto unknown sexual positions. We're kind of having a Kevin Smith movies. conversation <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh, God. How much of that I'm, I'm, I'm shutting this conversation down now. <laughs> I've had Please enough. do. <laughs> More rats, then. So, yeah, Kevin Smith, like, yeah, he made a run of movies in, like, uh, the start of his career. He did the six Askew Universe movies, which are Clerks, More Rats, Chasing Amy... Uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. I feel like I've missed one. And um, run it, run it past me again. So it's Clerks, More Rats, Clerks, yeah. Chasing Amy, yeah. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Dogma. Dogma. How did I uh, forget Dogma. Dogma? The best one. How did I forget Dogma? And then you had Clerks too, which was Dogma like the is one. the best one. 
Dogma is great. I mean, yeah. I feel like we're going to spend more time. Oh, I mean, now there's also Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, yeah, that's fine. We've also, but now we've also got Jay and Silent Bob reboot, which is in this universe. Which I have seen um, and is not. Jason, Jason Mewes directed a film that looks bloody awful, but it's called um, Method in the Madness or Madness in the Method or something, where he plays himself and all the viewers' universe people are in that. I'm not sure if that counts, but that's definitely a universe adjacent. Yeah. It looks utterly terrible. <laughs> um, it's a movie well, that clearly only exists because Jay Muse is a, a nice man and he has a lot of friends who are willing to dedicate an afternoon to making a film. <laughs> Fun fact. Friend of the podcast who has not appeared on the podcast yet, but probably will at some point, um, who will become who will be nameless until he's on the pod, because that's our tradition. We always refer to people as a friend of the pod until they appear. Um, but a friend of the podcast, who is a, a jobbing actor, uh, appeared uh, in the background <laughs> of a movie uh, which Jason Mewes was the male lead in. Um, Amazing. A film called The Devil's, the, the Devil's Tower. Um, I know he's listening to this, so I'm just going to say Inferno. But um, the... <laughs> <laughs> But apparently, uh, Jason yeah, Muse is a very nice man. Jason Muse is a very nice man, but um, they were all told like you can't drink and smoke while he's around. Like, if you guys want to like party because you're the cast and you're the extras and everything, you can. But because Jason is uh, dedicated to sobriety, like you have to wait until he's like offset, <laughs> which is understandable. Which, um, then, yeah, it's just a sort of little fun anecdote that I know about. Him. I'm glad he takes his sobriety seriously, but I just thought it was funny that the producer was like, look, I know you're all going to want to drink and smoke weed, but like, can you just not until Jason is out of his shop? <laughs> I love that that's a producer that's really in touch with what it's like to really make movies. <laughs> it's like, we know yeah, you're going to yeah. do it. I mean, we you... know that you're only going to get two hours sleep a night and you're just going to rock up in the morning <laughs> and you're just going to fucking make a movie. Yeah, we've all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> Yeah, um, so, so you know, by game, a few man. degrees of separation, we might be able to get Jason Mewes on the pod. Oh my god, I would die happy. Kathy Burke and then Jason Mewes, to the there are two, <laughs> two guest goals. <laughs> right, so more rats, we should talk about more um, rats. <laughs> we should, we should, because this has got to be one of the worst episode episodes been, we've ever What done. is this episode? <laughs> it's been a very nice chat between two old friends. That's very true. I've had a I've had a nice time. Terrible podcast. Terrible podcast. Terrible. <laughs> Awful episode. Come back next week. You, but like, if you are still, if you're still listening now. Fair play. Go outside. Touch grass. No, not fair play. Do something outside. with your life. Why are you just, just so you know? Why are you just listening to to two men you don't know to having a conversation? Unless you do know <laughs> us, in which case. Again, I don't understand why you're still listening, actually, if you do know us. This show is purely for you can listen to us. You can listen to us bollocking on at any point, so I don't know why you're listening to us. <laughs> anyway, more rats. So, this movie has a bit of a reputation for being uh, shit, to put it bluntly. Yeah, It was seen of... as a real letdown after Clerks, because Clerks was like this indie drama, this in- not indie drama, but like this indie darling. Um... And it was seen as like the work of like a very serious filmmaker. It's comedy, but it was seen as like, you know, because it was kind of grassroots, micro budget, you know, Kevin Smith maxed out his own credit cards to make the movie. It was this kind of DIY sort of punky little yeah, he thing. Yeah, shot he it made. in the and it's very like, store that he It's very like in. slice of life as well. 
yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very like slice of life. It is it is quite different to Kevin Smith's other films is the interesting thing. Like all his other films are much broader comedies, I would say. Um with the possible exception of like Chasing Amy, maybe, but like that yeah. um because Chasing Amy and Dogma are like proper films, but I would say they're, you know, they are quite broad comedies, you know. Uh, and this certainly is a lot of a broader comedy than um, than Clerks was. So this film is kind of seen as a step down. Roger Ebert actually was uh, not pleased with this film. He trashed it, in fact. Um, but he but then he's the man who reckons that... <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Ebert is not always on the money, is all we'll say no, about No, clearly that. not. Um, yeah this is very much but, uh, it's, yeah it's often considered a bit of a misfire uh, especially again as you say after the success of clerks and it's always one of those movies that i whenever i speak to people that like kevin smith movies this is always one that de- tends to be quite divisive amongst people um i know i've always had yeah. a, a slight love-hate relationship with this one and watching the extended cut today did not help my feelings of uh, frustration no. with this movie, let's put it that way. See, I think watching the theatrical cut did help. Because <laughs> I'd previously seen the extended cut, and I remember not enjoying it that much. But I think watching the 90-minute the version where um, you're at the mall within 10 minutes of the movie starting, I was like, okay, I can get into this. Whereas I know in the extended cut, it's like a fucking hour before you get to the mall or something. Oh my stupid. god! Yeah, it's, it's half an hour before you actually get to the mall because you have all of the you, you have all the preamble showing you uh, how Brody and TS break up with their partners, and the stuff with like Brody's breakup is quite similar to what's in the theatrical cut. Like the majority of that stuff is in the theatrical version, whereas the stuff with TS, oh my fucking god, it just keeps going. So. The, when they yeah. separate, like, I have to explain this because this baffled me. Because again, I knew nothing about what happened in this extended cut. So at the start of the movie, there is this. So hang on, before you start, I'll just for contrast. Before you start, we'll go through the um, the non extended version of this. Okay. So T S breaks up with his girlfriend, whose name escapes me. It's not Renee because that's Brody's girlfriend. That's uh, Shannon Doherty's character. Come on, come on. Yes. Um, yeah. Brandy. I watched this one today. Her name is Brandy. Brandy, of course. Uh, so T.S. So breaks up with Brandy. And in the non-extended version, it's basically just like... So we we find out that her dad is like a TV producer and he's uh, hosting a game, like a dating show. Um, it's a bit like Blind Date from the look of it, which is a British reference that I refuse to explain. Um, <laughs> they... Uh, but it's like, you know, there's three contestants. There's like a girl and there's three contestants who are trying to win a date with her. And we find out that TS has inadvertently killed uh, the girl who was supposed to be on the dating show tonight. So Brandy has to fill in for her, meaning that they cannot go on their pre-planned Florida trip, which TS gets annoyed about because she suspects that her dad, played by Michael Rooker, is uh, responsible for this chicanery and has deliberately split them up. That's about the size of it. Um now, it should be noted that TS inadvertently killed the uh, girl who couldn't go on the dating show because um, she was hanging out by the video store where it's implied that he works, although it's not explicitly stated. And uh, she was saying she was going to be on this dating show. And then he said as a throwaway comment, oh, you know, when you're on TV, the camera adds £10. And it transpires that this girl had a weight problem in high school 
and has psychological hang-ups about this. And so she went to the swimming pool to do 700 lengths, they say. And then uh, in doing so, had a brain aneurysm and died. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> So that's kind of how that starts. And then as it goes along, like that's kind of referenced when they go to the mall, various characters are like, like when they first meet uh, James Island Path, Jadis goes, well, if it isn't the fat chick killer himself. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Um, so that's the setup in the theatrical version. Mark. Regale us with the extended version. So in the extended version, um, at the beginning, uh, Brandy's dad is at this function with the this governor that he works for, and he's trying to sort of get her to give him money towards the, the TV show idea. And at the same time, Brandy is sat on a roof with a telescope. I can't exactly remember what it is that she's doing. Um, but then T.S. shows up, dressed up in this fucking outfit that he's in for a musical, and he's got a, a musket with him. And through a series of events, this ends up being tangled in Brandy's hair and a shot goes off and then the governor's security guards assume that it's an attempt on her life. So they all sort of duck to the ground and such. And then again, through another series of events, he ends up pointing the gun down at these people on the floor, which then, of course, causes... um, the argument between T.S. and Brandy about how he's immature and he's stupid and then he tells her how they were going to go on a holiday and he was going to propose to her and she basically says no to that. We then have Brody breaking up with uh, whatever Shannon Doherty's character's name is. What is her name? Uh, uh, Renee. Renee, that's it. So the scene where they break up is very much similar to the theatrical cut. They didn't really chop a whole lot out of that. Um, and then yeah because they just break up because he's like a, a loser who just plays video games all the time yeah and won't introduce him won't introduce her to his mum and she has to like sneak in through the window and shit yeah, yeah. He, you know he doesn't get her hair tangled up in a gun and inadvertently make an attempt on a governor's life which you were saying about how in the theatrical yeah. car um, they keep making reference to the fact that his comments towards that woman caused her to you know swim 700 laps <laughs> Yeah, brain aneurysm. Um, they keep making references yeah. in this version to the fact that he supposedly made an attempt on the governor's life. But every time somebody mentions that story right. to him, it's more elaborate. It turns into, oh, you tried to kidnap the president's daughter. And the reason why they go to right. the mall in the extended cut is because after they've both been dumped, um, they just spend a bit, like, they spend at least like five or so minutes just milling around Brody's house, just talking about how sad they both are. And it's kind of a drag, to be honest, yeah. in what's supposed to be a comedy. That movie. happens in this. That happens in the theatrical cut, but from the, I can't quite remember these scenes in the extended one. But there is about five minutes of them just chatting at um, Brody's house, but they're pretty much just in his like basement slash bedroom, whatever that setup is. And oh, um, there's a whole then like where Bro- in the kitchen, in right? The extended cut, so even okay, yeah, because in the theatrical cut, they pretty much just uh, TS comes round, they chat for a bit about comics and sadness. And then Brady's just like, fuck it, you know what we need to do? We just need to go to the mall. Just to like take your mind off it kind of thing. Um and that that and that's all the setup that they have for going to the mall. And so in the extended cut, there's more to that. So not only Brody well, not only does Brody suggest going to the mall, uh T S says, 
only if we can stop by Brandy's house on the way so I can talk to her. So there's another extended sequence where he goes to try and talk to Brandy. All the while, uh, the news, uh, there's like a news team outside Brandy's house because obviously, you know, she's connected to this supposed attempt on the governor's life. So the press are kind of hounding her. And so as a distraction, Brody goes to talk to the press to give like dirt on Brandy's family and talk about how they're involved in satanic rituals and such. Um, and he then leads the press towards the house where her dad, who is the guy played by Michael Rooker, is dancing. Well, not dancing. He's doing martial arts moves in just a towel, which then falls off whilst the news crew is filming him. And you see Michael Rooker's balls, which I was not quite prepared for. And I've still not fully processed that I've seen some Michael Rooker ball. You just see him swinging. You do freely. see him dancing around. You do see him dancing around in the nudie in the theatrical cut, but it's like a very brief cut where... T.S. is basically like, oh, I bet your dad's over the moon that we're not going to Florida together. And she's like, no, he isn't. And then it cuts to him like, bah, 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 dancing around naked, then it cuts back to the conversation. I love that they so, insisted on having naked Michael Rooker <laughs> in both versions of the film. <laughs> well, if you've got the rushes, you've got the rushes. Um, That's a good point. Yeah, so what I'll say about that is, this movie, it doesn't need all that fucking flim-flam at the start. No, it really It actually doesn't. plays a lot better when... I'm sure Kevin Smith would be like, oh, this was my vision for it or whatever. But like, it plays a lot better when it's just them deciding to go to the mall. It's like what I was saying about um, Paul Blart Mall Cop, where like, this is a movie where the stakes are low and they should stay low. This whole thing of like, oh, we've got to lie low and all the rest of it. Like, it's stupid. Like, It actually plays a lot better when it's just like we're just going to go to the fucking mall and then by pure coincidence they end up going into these kind of contrived scenarios where you know they, they end up getting back with their various girlfriends um another thing i want to flag up is like i think you agree with me on this in both versions the ts and brandy relationship is quite boring to follow oh, um, it's incredibly because basically all it all it really has all it really has to it is like Michael Rooker doesn't want them to be together. And that's it, really. Um, you don't really see why they are into each other. like Because you see them break up, and then you see her be just mildly irritated by him until he proposes to her at the end. And it's kind of like, all right. It doesn't really play out in a way that makes sense to me. Whereas I think, uh, by contrast, the relationship between Brody and Renee, you do... like They don't oversell it, but you do see why they like each other. They are quite similar. Yeah. Um, they're both kind of brassy loudmouths, basically. And, um, <laughs> you know, you get the sense that in a way they are kind of perfect for each other. It's just like he has to get over being such a man child, which is like the arc of his character, right? Yeah. Like he kind of, essentially. Or he learns to apply his kind of aggro, annoying nature to something positive. And I know it kind of goes to a ludicrous extreme where he kind of fails upward into being the host of the tonight show <laughs> but i think it kind of works because it's so that that's like so stupid that it kind of it, it works i think yeah like all the way through the movie his like comic book knowledge and sort of slackerism uh sort of personality traits always come in handy in some fashion you know it takes having a almost like a father-son yeah. style discussion about the girl that got away with stanley to really kind of make Brody realize what he's trying to achieve and why he needs to try and get Renee back in which is a very very sweet scene I think which is then obviously yeah it is quite funny it's, uh, yeah, Stanley was forced into <laughs> well, not forced but like coerced into talking to him. 
Yeah, that is something that... Because that's the scene that I remembered being in this movie, This where Stan Lee just turns up, chats with Brody, and then it turns out that T.S. kind of bothered him to do it or paid him to do yeah. it. Um, it's not quite clear. How does he know Stan Lee? Well, Stan Lee is this something that's set up? The, uh, the mall for a comic book signing. But that's right, it. okay. I think this is something that's slightly underplayed in the theatrical cut then. Because there is like a big... They do show that they go to the comic book store and there's like a big line outside. In the theatrical cut, they do show that the comic book store has like a big line outside of it. And the 15-year-old sex addict will get there. She's like, good luck getting into the comic book store, guys. But I can't remember if they actually explicitly say that it's Stan Lee is there or just wasn't paying attention to the dialogue in the scene. But... Um, in the extended version, no, they don't show him. I know that much. They do eventually say that it's Stan Lee, but like, there's a huge line, and Brody's like, "Who the hell is it? Like, wh- why is nobody telling me who it is?" And eventually, after he gets into a scuffle with some other people in the line, um, another random dude who has the word "Stan" written all over his head, because a bald guy who's just got it written over, tells him that it's it's Stan Lee. Uh, and then later on in the movie, Stanley okay. just appears and has this chat with Brody, which is like the big sort of moment where he sort of picks himself up. Um, yeah, no, I think yeah the 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 Brody arc is fun. Uh, the I really okay, I think just Jason Lee is actually a very sort of charming actor. Uh, I've always quite liked him a lot. Yeah, he's funny in this. Yeah, I'm a big fan of My Name Is Earl as well, so I've always really liked uh, Jason Lee. And also the actor whose name escapes me, who plays Randy in My Name Is Earl, is also in this film. He's one uh, of the strange Ethan Supley. Yes, he's one of the strange uh, yeah. residents of the mall who is spends the entire movie staring at one of those optical illusion pictures because uh, everyone says they can see a sailboat. Yeah, magic eye it, painting. And he can never see it. <laughs> and I think he might yeah. be one of my favorite characters in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's just so frustrated by and it. i like how every um, single character that walks past him has to acknowledge that they can see the sailboat they drive that joke into the fucking ground <laughs> it's still i think it's, it pays off though because at the end where you know when it comes up with the text of like what everyone's done at the end of the movie it comes up with like oh he eventually saw the sailboat and he responds to the text like <laughs> what really <laughs> Which I think is like, it's the stupidest moment, but it's so funny. This, I think, I can't really remember because it's been such a long time since I've seen Clerks, but I think this was definitely the what, the the start of Kevin Smith really kind of like breaking the fourth wall in his movies because the character of Silent Bob yeah, constantly breaks the fourth wall. Like, he just looks down the barrel of the lens yeah. all the time. That Yeah, there is no fourth wall breaking in Clerks, as far as I recall. Yeah, like... Again, Clerks is kind of like, it's, it's a lot grittier, I guess. It's a lot more kind of... Um, grounded, really, yeah. Yeah, and then the later ones become more and more cartoonish as time goes on. And this is definitely the start of that, and I think that's why it's like a slightly contentious movie. Because you're right, this is the start of like Silent Bob, who's, for people who don't know, is played by Kevin Smith himself. For people who don't know, come on. But um, this is the start of like Jay and Silent Bob just being absolute cartoon characters. Yeah, because in this movie, which, um, they are just like Brody and... and uh boring bloke just go in and like oh every time they need a scheme or they need something destroying they just go to jay and silent bob and we we get some we get some of the best jay and silent bob scenes in this i love how they hang out next to the pet store next to the kittens i always find that was always a cute little <laughs> character moment and whenever they uh, they leave jay makes sure that silent bob shows them some love <laughs> <laughs> i was just thought that was really cute damn silent bob have a heart <laughs> 
I mean, look, we need to address the elephant in the room, which is that Jason Mewes is this movie's secret weapon. Absolutely. And gets all the best lines and is the funniest part of the movie. And one thing that I think we should note is that the studio didn't want Jason Mewes in this movie because he's not really an actor. He's just Kevin Smith's mate. Um, and obviously uh, Smith was not too pleased with that, but like he had to audition for the role. And he was auditioning against the likes of Seth Green was on the people. There's a few other people of a similar kind of stature and age kind of no- noted. And like, no offense to Seth Green, but can you imagine this movie with Jay being played by Seth Green no. throughout? But still, but still saying like Snoogans or no, whatever. Like, nobody other than Jason Mewes can play that character because that character is yeah, Jason Mewes. Is yeah, him. him. Yes, that's the thing they didn't realise is like, He's not playing a character. It doesn't matter that he's not an actor. He is playing himself. And that's what's funny about it. And yeah, like you couldn't cast anybody else in that role. It would just it would be wrong. And this movie would be significantly weaker as a result. I mean, I think um Jason Lee's performance is definitely one of the highlights of it as well. Like Brody is a great character. And I like the fact that he's a recurring character in some of the other movies as well, because he comes back in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which might be my favourite of the Skewniverse movies. That film is basically just a fucking live-action cartoon. Even goes so far as have the Jay and Silent Bob end up in the mystery machine at one point. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I think that movie is like it's one of my favourite dumb it's comedies. so great. Any film that has it's, Mark it's a fucking stupid. Film. Any film that has Mark Hamill playing a supervillain called Cockknocker is an instant Kino in my book. Like, how could you not give that Kino? And we must have said this on the pod, um, but it does have the greatest opening sequence of all time because it is <laughs> where Silent Bob's mother and Jay's mother leave them outside the shop in their prams, <laughs> and then it, it just transitions into them as uh, as adults <laughs> and Jay. Jason uses rap. It's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Anybody who's seen it I mean, the, knows it, loves it. That's not this movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people of our generation know the rap yeah. off by heart, right? The 15 bucks, little man, put that shit in my hand. If that money doesn't show, then you owe me, owe me, owe. My jungle love. Yeah. Jungle love. It's so good. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think like more rats is definitely the precursor to Jay and Silent Bob Straight Back. Like it's kind of got that slightly more zany yeah. tone. Like Jay. Well, and Clerks too. Like this is the tone that his movies take going yeah. forward. And yeah, for better and for worse, because I think to sort of get into the, like the nitty gritty of what I think about more rats, it's definitely one of my least favorite of the Askew Universe movies. It's definitely the one that I would probably pick to watch least. Um, if you if you yeah. put all the six main movies, obviously yeah, reboot and James Bond reboot, we're not going to talk about that. The six core movies, it's the mm. one that I would pick last, I think, just because it it's got some really funny stuff in it, but all the stuff in between the really funny iconic bits is not really that great, especially when it focuses on um, Brandy and um, TS. Uh, is it TS? Yeah, yeah. TS. TS, yeah. Yeah, TS the stuff queen. between them I just don't fucking care and especially when that takes up quite a large portion of the third act as well because the, the third act of the movie is when they're actually on the dating show and TS and Brody take the take the yeah. place of two of the contestants and Brody kind of steals the <laughs> show which is how he ends up hosting the Tonight Show <laughs> although I do think it's fucking hilarious when they knock the two guys because they get Jay and Silent Bob in on the act right and uh, Jay gets the two guys stoned and they both just KO <laughs> Um, which is funny 
<laughs> I do like the escalating, like that's quite a funny scene, the escalating situation of like um, Brandy's dad's assistant comes in and he knows that like, oh, you guys are like fucking around here. So they just take him out. <laughs> it just like keeps going on and on and on. <laughs> but that was quite funny. Um, and like, I, I do think that the, the dating show stuff, it goes, it's a bit cheesy. It goes on for a bit. Um I do think it's kind of funny. I like the fact that the guy who plays Dante's yeah, in that scene and that, he's like the weird which, little nerdy guy. You can guy. imagine as well for like the audiences that first saw this when it came out, you know, all seven of them because this movie did not make money. Um, that must have been a really no. great little surprise because again, like you didn't, you probably didn't really get as much of that stuff. Like the fact that he was in this movie would have been a big deal to all the people that really loved Clerks because uh, the other actor is yeah. in this. Um, the guy who plays Randall. No, no. Like, yeah, he's not in this Randall, movie. Randall, yeah. But he's not been in a lot of the other Askew Universe movies. The guy who plays Dante's a no, he only really comes in. He only really comes in to play Randall. Yeah, which is a shame, because I like him. He's very funny. Because, um, especially in Clerks 2, the, the whole discussion around racial <laughs> slurs and that is unbelievable. It's hilarious, yeah. <laughs> but what I was going to say is, I think what saves the uh, dating show thing is, like, the, the Dante guy whose name escapes me, he's funny. But I also think the fact that like it mo- it's just Jay reacting to the the dating show is funny as well. <laughs> He's like cheering them on by their fake names and shit. <laughs> okay. Or he just goes, "This is one wacky dating show." <laughs> like, I'm not doing it justice, but Jay Muse's delivery is always funny. Yeah, I mean, and I like a lot of the side characters in this movie. Like I say, the guy who just stares at the painting all day. I think that's a good gag, and uh, no matter how many times they keep coming back to it, I think it's always funny. There is one troubling character, though, that we must discuss. Yes, we're going to get into this. um, I'd forgotten about this. So they bump into a character called Trisha, who Brody knows. And they talk about how Trisha Mm. is writing a book all about um, male sexuality and basing it on the experiences that she has had having sex with men. She's a a senior. She's a senior. They say she's a senior, but she's 15 years old. So she's a prodigy. Yeah, so she is 15 years old and she keeps a diary of all the men that she has had sex with. And it's a lot. Uh, Which they they explicitly say is between 14 and 30 as well. Because her study is on male libido in the 90s uh, from men aged 14 to 30. And her book is called Borgasm. Which sounds like it should (laughs) be a punk band. (laughs) It does, it does. Um, Now we should say um, the actress who plays her is... Well above the age yes. of fifteen, which I think is at least in part the joke, yeah. right? Like I think that's part but of it. The thing is, during that scene where they're discussing her book, Brody is super fine with it. If anything, he's almost offering himself to be part of her research. Whereas TS definitely sees yeah. something's not okay with it, but also doesn't quite challenge it either. They're both kind of weirdly okay with it, which. It's something that wouldn't be in a movie no, today. Absolutely. I'll say that, much. especially the extra or wouldn't be treated the same way. That she films all of the encounters yeah. as well, because that's a plot point. Which ends up, <laughs> yes, which ends up. Okay, so we should say Ben Affleck is in this movie, <laughs> yes. and he's trying to move in on Renee uh, because he goes for women who have recently broken up with their partners because he thinks they'll let him fuck her up the ass. Basically, is the. Uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's what's happening yeah, there. That's right? the joke is that he likes anal. He wants to coerce women into anal sex. Um, they keep saying, <laughs> and it's, it's probably my favorite running joke in the movie as well. Actually, the um, 
where they say he wants to fuck him somewhere really uncomfortable, and everyone goes, what, like the backseat of a Vauxhall? <laughs> yeah, the backseat of a Volkswagen. It's the fact they all say it, but they all do it in that way as if they're the first person coming up with the joke. So funny. Like, that's genuinely a great joke. But, um, but yeah, so he gets discredited by them because he slept with the 15-year-old, uh, Trisha, and film, and they play the videotape in the background of the dating show. Which does prompt which does prompt Jay to say the line, This is one wacky dating show. Oh, he doesn't say that in the extended cut. Okay. He says, I I always wondered why she walked so fucked up. <laughs> That's what he says in the extended cut. <laughs> oh dear. I, dear. I was my housemate was watching it with me at the time and we were similarly appalled by that line. I mean, that was kind of hilarious. <laughs> but um, oh, We should say as well, Trisha returns from the viewers. She does, yeah. She's in... Um, I think she's in a couple of other ones, but she's in Jane and Silent Barbara because they live with her in that movie <laughs> before they are asked to leave. Which is... Uh, yeah, I mean, this character is... Um, uh, it's an interesting one because I found the performance. Uh, what is the actress called who plays Trisha? Um, whilst I look that up, I do have a quick question. In the theatrical cut, because it's been a long time since I've seen it, do you see the video when they play it? Okay, yes. yes that, I, I wondered yeah, if that he, was just in the extended cut. Where... You don't. You don't see anything. Uh, you just see that Affleck's like behind her, pumping uh, asking away. him. Does he say like "call me, call me Jay" or something like that? Oh, no, he said in, in the, the well, I don't know if it's different in the theatrical cut, but in the, in the, in the sorry, in the extended version, but in the theatrical cut, he goes, uh, who's your favourite new kid? <laughs> like, he's telling like, new kids on the book, I guess. But, <laughs> so creepy. Um, so yeah. creepy. <laughs> uh, but that actress's name. And he gets arrested, he, he rightly gets arrested he for status But when he's being arrested, he's like, ah, oh, come on, you'd have done the same. And it's like, this would not fly anymore. Like, but in fairness, they the police do let uh, um, Jason Lee punch him in the do. stomach. They do, yes. Um, Which I I, th- I I took was because these are yeah. nuts, right? I like this. Oh, come on, just because he goes to he goes to punch him anyway for stealing his girlfriend, and they're like, "Hey, you can't hit a guy who's in police custody." He's like, "Oh, come on, just one." They're like, "Oh, all right." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that actress's name is Renee Humphrey. Oh, okay. That's interesting. She's called Renee, but she plays yeah. Trisha. Um, yeah, I thought her performance was good. Like she, it's the it is the fact that they explicitly make the character fifteen that's a, that's troubling. I think. Yeah, like, it's it's very unsavory, and to the point where watching it this, especially when it's not amazingly clear how old the main guys are supposed to be, because they're college age, which means they're a minimum of eighteen. Yeah, it's one of those Which things that just this time around possibly makes it. Uh, I mean, it's it's obviously I mean, that's the thing. All the actors involved are older yeah, than the course. characters they're portraying, which is kind of the. I think it's part of the issue, though. Is like it's kind of hard to gauge like how old the guys are supposed to be. So even if we're charitable and we say like, oh, well, they're eighty and the youngest they could possibly be. That's. Well, I guess actually, because he says you've got you've got no college plans, so he could be seventeen. That's the absolute but the, youngest. But he also, could at this be. point, out, these actors do not look that age. No, no they don't. <laughs> um, I mean, in fairness, uh, Renee Humphreys does not look fifteen no, either. Not at all. But um, so it's kind of one of those things where, like, yeah, if we're supposed to take it that these characters are eighteen, it's still creepy. But I can understand 
you know that why he would be like teasing her in the way that he does because i don't think that um brody is into her necessarily i, that's I think he's like winding yeah up. it's like that's just how he yeah. interacts with people because like when when they fir- when they first sit next to her he like knocks the books out of her hand so like i i don't think he's like hitting on her and i think the fact that they all treat ben affleck as a creep for sleeping with her kind of shows that the movie isn't saying like you should sleep with 15 year olds obviously i mean it- and the fact that they then also explicitly imply like he gets fucked in the ass in prison kind of do they only imply it? Kind of indicates that that's supposed because there's a, a there's an I think there's an additional shot in the extended cut. Oh no no the shot you're thinking of is what, there, where he's yes. screaming and uh, the... oh maybe not is that, that but, the um, hand no not in fact not yeah the hand goes over yeah, yeah in yeah, the yeah. extended cut there is a close up shot of Ben Affleck's face in prison bars with two men stood behind him and him just screaming through the prison bars that's an extended cut. It's, wow. it's a lot more. That's another shot that could a lot have been. more tasteless. The extended cut. Yeah, I mean it's pretty tasteless anyway. Yep. But... Much more. Yeah, so that's an element of this movie that is interesting to watch with modern eyes because it's the kind of thing that would have been treated as like a bit risque at the time that the movie came out, but now you just simply wouldn't get that. Yeah, as a... Even well, you wouldn't get it in the way that it's portrayed here, where it's just like. Or it's a bit wrong, but oh, it's you know it's all a bit cheap. Like they certainly wouldn't portray it as like, because I think the thing that is not to get too serious about this fairly stupid film, but um, I think the thing that is different now is that you would never have the movie imply that she's like consenting to having sex with adult men and that's fine. Like that's kind of where I think the line will be yeah, drawn She makes now. it very clear that she is completely in control of this situation and she is doing this very willingly. Yes. And yeah. yeah she, she's never portrayed in any way as being like the victim, essentially. She's very much the one with all the power. Yeah, and I think like that's kind of the joke, but also, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because... I, I'm not. I'm. Not, I'm certainly not accusing Kevin Smith of anything other than, you know, being a man of his time. Let's say. Uh, yeah, I think aside from the scene where she's introduced and the scene at the end with the videotape, like they don't dwell on it too long. And yeah, it's just it really kind of took me by surprise. I'd really forgotten about that before watching it for this, and it. I I remembered the character, but I forgot quite how, like quite how much they got into that stuff. Yeah, um, I, I, mean, I just feel like you could take away the element of her age, and it wouldn't change the joke. Really, like it'd still be she's just this. She's just yeah. She's writing this book about uh, male sexuality, and like she's clearly just very bored with the rather mundane porking she's getting. Really, but I guess she has to be underage for the finale yeah, to work. Granted, um, yeah, or rather, to the they can't stitch Ben Affleck up unless he's you know he's he's done yeah. a diddle. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe that's because um, that, in terms of the plot, that is the reason that she's underage, right? Like it serves no other purpose, yeah, other than being really yeah. quite crass and tasteless, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's yeah one of this movie that I'm definitely not that fond of. Uh, Especially nowadays, I mean, it's still there's still some humor to be mined from it, but it's it's really quite tasteless, I think. Yeah, and I think it's kind of like the 
the idea of how the character goes on in the Askew universe, where like she is like the weirdly younger friend of Jay and Silent Bob, but who has had shit together more yeah. than them, because that's kind of the bit in that she like she appears in them. Um, uh, Jane and Silent Bob strike back, right? And they're like living in her apartment. <laughs> Is that Jane and Silent? Yeah, yeah, I think it must be. Um, and it's like this idea that like they're they're just sponging off this team they know. <laughs> or I guess she's not a teen in that movie, but like, it's you know what I mean. It's that thing of like, and like I think her interactions with Jane and Silent Bob are kind of uh, funny. Like the fact that like like she kind of is winding Bob up about his attempts to. Uh, Use the force. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Silent Bob's whole arc through this movie is that he watched, what was it, Jedi and uh, Empire, Empire of Jedi, Jedi yeah. and wants to try and do the Jedi mind trick, which again is just pure Kevin Smith. That there's an inclusion. That's just completely his kind of thing. Um, hmm. So, perviness aside, um, or slightly inappropriate characters <laughs> aside, um. What do we think? Is this Kino or Inferno, Mark? Um, I can't... Okay, right. This is... Uh, I'm going to do it thusly. Um, so, the standard cut is a soft Kino from me. It's not a film that I completely okay. recommend. It's not a film that I dislike. Um, it's, 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 it's a fun movie. It's got some really good bits in it. You know, there's some really quite great gags. There's a really good performance as well, again. Uh, I think... Jason Lee is great in this. Uh, Michael Rook is really great in this. Um, you know, Jason Mewes obviously is brilliant in this. Um, so it's got some of that good stuff in it. And it's got some really great gags. Like I like the chocolate-covered pretzel and the stink palm, you know, where he gives Michael Rooker a stomach illness by rubbing his hand on his ass and then making him eat food. That he's, he's done, like, you know, it's, that's funny. And I like that that's a recurrent gag in the Esk Universe movies as well. Um... The extended version, however, that's going in the fire. That opening half an hour is just... It doesn't quite mesh. It's yeah. tonally not appropriate. And it's also... like This movie's quite flat in terms of its cinematography. Like, it's a lot of just, you know, like, coverage. Um, which is kind of Kevin Smith's style, admittedly. Uh, which, you know, in Clerks was definitely more of, like, a budgetary thing. Um, Whereas here, those opening scenes with like the governor and the gun and stuff, like they just play really badly. And the first half an hour of the extended cut is a bit of a drag. There's no, not really many jokes in it outside of the stuff that you already know from the theatrical cut. Like I don't feel like it adds a whole lot to the movie, and it focuses far too much on Randy and TS. And I just really fucking don't care about those characters one bit. Just yeah. not at all. Yeah, I'm going to echo your thoughts here, and um, I don't know. Um, do you know what, actually? Since you've given it a soft Kino, I'm going to give it a soft Inferno, and I think that covers both of us. Uh, because I don't hate this movie. I agree with you that if I was going to watch a Kevin Smith uh, universe film, this is probably the last one I'd go for. Um, especially when there's like Jay and Silent Bob yeah, Strike Back. Right a there. whole movie about Jay and Silent um, Bob and a monkey. <laughs> exactly and and like I, you know and dogma is like a, a great film as well uh what i'll say is that and obviously clerks clerks 2 but I, I think clerks 2 is like okay pretty funny and clerks is like you know it's a classic uh, chasing amy chasing as well it's a classic very, very so, good. I like that film a lot. so this one kind of sits in this weird um place where like there's bits and bobs of it that i think are really funny um and really work 
I have to say, most of the stuff that really works for me is predictably the Jay and Silent Bob stuff. Like, I love the scene where they're planning how they're going to trash the um, the stage, and it's just blueprints whizzing by on camera. And like at the end of <laughs> at the end of every summary of the plan, Jay, Jay just goes sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> I, find funny. I mean, look, I just find the word snoogans funny. I'm a fan um, of it doesn't really matter. Snoochy boochies, snooch to the motherfucking booch, and so I forth. I like all of his nicknames for Silent um, Bob. I like how he calls him Tubby. <laughs> Tubby little bitch. Yeah. And Lunchbox is another one as well, because apparently <laughs> Silent Bob has a massive wang. This <laughs> is the bit where Renee goes up to them and just, just tries to get Bob's attention. <laughs> First of all, Bob turns around to punch her, which is funny. <laughs> Um, and then like it's just the fact that Jay just throws out a dude you're a chick magnet (laughs) (laughs) she's not even said anything Um, although as we know from later installments Jay is uh, almost certainly a homosexual but no to summarise my feelings here uh, yeah I can't really give it Kino and I can't really chuck it in the Inferno. So that's why I'm happy that we've got the yin and yang of a soft Kino, yeah, soft it's, Inferno. It's not the best of Kevin Smith's output, but it's definitely not the worst either. Certainly not the worst. Um, and I will say, like, the, the stuff that's kind of not aged super well, I think, is quite jarring in this movie. Um, Especially if you're not that familiar and, um, with comedy films from around this era. Like, if you were to pick this one up now, like. This is the kind of movie, and it makes me sound like an old man, but like you know how you keep seeing these like old movies getting dragged online these days. Yeah, Mallrats is definitely one of those movies. That I feel like if the the sort of current generation got hold of it via TikTok or something, it would uh, you'd see those awful. Oh fucking yeah, I'm, I, was that it, I was surprised that I was surprised that it hadn't been dragged. To be honest, because. I think there's a lot you could drag about this film if you wanted to. I mean, obviously we've talked about uh, the character of Trisha. Um, uh, but there is also, like, I think, one thing that I would say has maybe not aged super well about this is like the main character's attitudes towards women. As much as Brody is shown to have changed slightly by the end of the movie, and it's implied that he's on an upward trajectory uh, with his relationship with Renee. And in fairness, Renee gives as good as she gets. I think that's something that, like, the fact that they, they mentioned shit like he made her sleep under the bed in case his mom came in and stuff like that. Like obviously, all that's there to indicate that, like, he's a super, he's a stupid man-child and, you know, he's taken it for granted. Like, that's the point of his character. But um, I think that's something that people would pick up on now is that, like, there is no, like, grand realisation. He just kind of is slightly less of a dickhead by yeah. the end of it. Uh, and I think that's the point. I think, like, that's, you know... Because you also have her being like, I love the retard, which, by the way, is a line that you wouldn't get away with <laughs> no, They today. use that word a lot in this um, film. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the 90s. Um, yeah, so there's stuff that certainly, I think, to to a Generation Z viewer would not play um, super well. Uh, speaking for myself, I would kind of agree with them a little bit on this movie. There's definitely stuff in it where I'm like... It's very, you know, it's a product of his time. You have to take it in those contexts. But I think, and I think like Kevin Smith has written stories where kind of male uh, inadequacy is a theme and that this film is no different. Uh, I think he's done a better example of exploring that. Like Chasing Amy is a, is a good example yeah. of this. Um, 
and uh, you know, I think he's kind of delved into those ideas with more depth in later films. And I think this movie kind of touches on stuff that he'll dig into more later but whereas on. Whereas here, it's definitely like you um, said, it's more played as broad comedy than anything else. Like more rats doesn't tend yeah, to it's it more have much of a point. I'd say it's it's kind of trying to be like a, a hangout movie and I think it's at its best when it's trying to be a hangout movie like at its best it's like a more yeah. surreal version of something like Days and Confused I would say only you know with Jay and Silent mm. Bob and that's the only way you, you know like you say that Days and Confused would be a much better movie if Jay and Silent Bob were in it Jay and Silent Bob yeah. were in it yeah um, but yeah so like that's kind of my thinking like, I, I don't hate this movie I'm probably not going to watch it again in a hurry no, but if it's on um, it's, the, it's the kind of yeah it's the kind of thing where like if someone has it on at theirs I'll probably watch it but like I can't see myself sitting down to watch this again whereas like Dogma I definitely Dogma's will Dogma is so great Clerks I definitely will yeah so I think with that in mind yeah Soft Inferno kind of works for me um, so that's the end of this very rambly episode Um <laughs> We promise next week will be a little more focused on the movies, but the ones we picked today were a bit shit. Yeah. So that's kind of the uh, way the cookie crumbles sometimes with Kino Inferno. But what is next week, Mark? I think it might be pregnancy scares. Is that next week? Oh, possibly. Might not be, though. Let me just check the list. Yeah. Mark, vamp, vamp for a second. Because our dear listeners, um, it is worth noting that we are approaching the end of Series 2. There's only a couple more episodes left. So, you know. Keep vamping. Huh? Keep vamping, um, keep vamping. No, so in fact, <laughs> next week, Mark, you fucking idiot. It's not pregnancy scares. You what fool. What is it then? Is it then? Fucking tell me. It's uh, Imaginary Friends next oh, week. I'd forgotten so we're about doing this one. Yes, okay. I'm a... Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit and um... <sighs> Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> Why are you so apprehensive about watching Drop Dead Fred? <sighs> Drop Dead Fred. How long has it been since you've seen Drop Dead Fred? <laughs> 20 years. How long has this film been out? <laughs> it came out the 90s, <laughs> mate. This film's old as shit. <laughs> Yeah, so I think it's maybe been about twenty years. Since uh, it's I saw been it. honestly, it's been a very, very long time since I've seen it as well. I, I'm, I'm very interested to go back to it because the more I think about Drop Dead Fred, the more I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> was that okay? Uh, yeah, I'm not really looking forward to that one, listeners. But we're going to talk about JJ Rabbit as well. So swings and roundabouts, really. So. That was mediocre more movies, uh, which was a and it was a mediocre episode of Kino Inferno. It was Kino a Inferno. meandering episode of Kino Inferno where me and Aiden, it was like a it was like a Kevin Smith film <laughs> where me and Aiden did our best to talk about everything but the two movies in question. Mm. But no, but hopefully you've enjoyed the conversation. Well, anyway. these are both sort of hangout movies, you could say. So you're just hanging out with us, you know. Get your dick out, let it let it hang. So that, get, get a nice little breeze on it. We're getting towards the sort of chilly mornings now. It'd be really good to just sort of just just pop a bollock out your window in the morning. Wakes you right up. I, I certainly have been popping my member out of the window of the morning and just letting the breeze roll in. Has that restraining order been lifted yet? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> don't think uh, that's why you're doing it in the morning, don't you? I've had new ones. <laughs> Can I do it out of the back window now? <laughs> <laughs> 
pop it through the letterbox, no one notices. Ah, the lost art of Oh, someone's left a lovely salami sausage hanging out of the letterbox. It's got some gristle on it. <laughs> anyway, if you want to hear more broadcasting of this caliber, <laughs> you can find you? us... Uh, <laughs> not quite. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, maybe on YouTube. I don't think the last episode's on YouTube yet. Oh, uh, Twitter. I don't think so. I've not had the update on my oh, phone should, to tell me it's on there. You should. <laughs> <Have> one job. <laughs> uh, but you can also find us on Facebook. Find us via Google. You can find us on Ask Jeeves. You can find us on um, Bing. Is that um, one? I think people still use Bing. Although, did people ever use Bing? I remember there was adverts for Bing. I don't know when they used Bing. No, because everyone uses yeah. Google. Why would you ever use Bing? Um... Bing slammed. This is <laughs> we've slammed it, good and proper. Uh, this has been Kino Inferno. I've been Aiden, and I've been Mark, and I've been Babble Freak, baby. Babble Freak, everyone, <laughs> scooch to the nooch. Noise, noise, noise. One, two. One, two, three, four. Noise, noise, noise. Smoking weed, smoking weed. Doing coke, drinking beers. Drinking beers, beers, beers. Rolling baddies, smoking blunts. Who smokes the blunts? Who smoke the blunts? Rolling blunts and smoking weed. Ah, uh, let me get a nickel bag. Fifteen bucks, little man. Put that shit in my hand. If that money doesn't show, then you owe me, owe me, oh. My jungle love, yeah. Oh, we, oh, we, oh. I think I wanna know you, know ya. Yeah, what? What the hell are you singing?